Oh my god. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoy it because no one else does. That's not true. People love it. You're welcome. I am Money the Kombucha Cutie. You're you're welcome because I did help you come up with no, that. No, you didn't. I did. And anyway, I am on one Nikita. Oh, you really are. Yeah, are you really. not on one? You're on several. <laughs> I really am. I've been out of control a little bit lately. <laughs> and this is Queer Walk the Podcast, the insurgent bi-weekly audio syllabus. Um, but we were weekly this month for Pride. For Pride, absolutely. And this is our last mini-sode of Pride. Of Pride, yeah. <laughs> this has been a lot of work. Woo. <laughs> How do people do this weekly? I was... <laughs> That's so funny. I was thinking the same thing. But it's, I feel like we've had some really good jam-packed episodes. Packed. They've been really good. Y'all got content to take you well into July. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You queered up and queered out. <laughs> and so this will be our All Curves All the Time episode. With a little surprise interview. Yeah. The interviews, God. Woo, yeah. woo, the interviews have just been fire. Yes. So we're going to go ahead and drop the intro and get into this all curves all the time. Love your chocolate demeanor and your cocoa kisses. I see your flow from a distance. Your vibe inside my submission. I give you all of me. Want to make you proud of me. We see the God in all you do. Your light is harmony. Hey, every type, darkest night, brightest light, I'm loving your soul They hate you, replace you, taint you, but know that you go Worldwide from every continent, I just want you to jig a little bit Move them hips, feel that bliss, hug your sis, make a fist Don't resist your temptation, you amazing, no limitation My favorite in this matrix, we move by your vibration And that's love I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby you love I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby you love I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby, you love, you love. Okay, but wait, Nikita, we have news that we need to share. Montanique, what do we have to share with the Queer Walk community? A save the date. A save the date? <laughs> <laughs> you are the worst. Um, so yes, y'all. We would like you all to save the date, the last weekend of August, August 30th to to September September 1st, 1st, for a Queer Walk Retreat Yourself. Retreat Yourself. In Syracuse, New York. Syracuse, 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 Syracuse. New York, New York. (laughs) What is wrong with you? (laughs) We're bringing y'all a Queer Walk weekend of events. So, save the date. We'll have more info to come, but we wanted to announce it now because we know that we're up here next to Canada. So, right. <laughs> to give folks time to, like, plan travel if you're coming from a little bit further out than, like, we will be, <laughs> which is, like, seven minutes away. Next, so, right. Literally right next door. Yeah. <laughs> so, go ahead. Save the date. Last weekend of August slash first weekend of September because it's September 1st. And we are going to be looking forward to seeing all of your wonderful Queer Walk faces mm-hmm. in the and it, flesh. And if you would like to get, like, the first breaking news for this Save the Date Queer Walk Retreat Yourself Weekend, become a patron at patreon.com slash queerwalkpod, P-O-D. We're just going to get into the curves, huh? Curved, 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 curved. <laughs> 
And if you don't regularly listen to the show, Money, can you tell the listeners, especially the new ones, what is a Curved Chronicle? Sure. Um, so the Curved Chronicles are our dating woes and wins as queer folks of color, our experiences navigating love, life, and laughter, um, trying to, you know, have relationships, sustain relationships, yeah. find relationships, all that, all the things. Indeed. Yeah. So, for the past few weeks, we have been soliciting you all. Soliciting? Yeah. Okay. What What? What would you say we no, have been I, doing? No, I, I don't know. I would have just said something like, we've been asking. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we have been asking you all to share some of your Curved Chronicles with us. Mm-hmm. And you all did. So, yeah. we're going to go uh, back and forth between the ones that you all shared with us. Some of you all asked us some questions. And Money and I might share... A curved chronicle or two of our own. Should we intersperse <laughs> the ones that were solicited <laughs> with our own? Or you just want to go? You want to go first? I like the interspersing. <laughs> of course you do. All right. So you want to read the first one, Nikita? Yes. So okay. the first one is from... I, I was about to say the homie because they do feel like it, a homie. It feels like a homie. But do, do, do we want to say their name? Did they say we could say their name? Well, the first one is from a homie, but we're going to give the homie a pseudonym. Yeah. Because we don't know if, like, they want us to say their name. Right. Like, Griggs or something. (laughs) Oh, Griggs. (laughs) I like that. Okay. Griggs. (laughs) So, Griggs says, I met this super beautiful woman at a Planned Parenthood event and drunkenly invited her to my collective's New Year party. I hear girls like DJs and party planners. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She ended up coming to my party and stayed for a while and we chatted a bit when I had time. Mm -hmm. We had also become Facebook friends and she would like so many of the things I posted almost immediately. I also knew she was queer. A couple of months later, she came to a queer dating event I planned and hosted. She ended up buying me all my drinks and food. Mm -hmm. After the event, we danced. Crotch to crotch. Oh my gosh. <laughs> she also invited me to go with her um, to Colombia on this dope ass trip in two weeks. Like Colombia, the, the country? country? The country. I was unemployed at the time, so I declined. Also, what? <laughs> so I was thinking this was a cute mutual thing. I asked her for drinks at this rooftop bar and she seemed very enthusiastic. I dressed up, of course. She came to pick me up in um, not dressed up clothes. <laughs> she said she had just gotten off volunteering at a shelter. She also said she had to work early the next day, so we really needed to wrap up drinks within two hours. All right. <laughs> I like the emphasis you put in on this. We go to this rooftop. It was all couples enjoying cozy ass drinks. She kind of laughed and was like, ha, 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 look at all these people on a date. Inside, I was like, what are we on? (laughs) (laughs) Then she proceeded to talk about the love of her life. Some dude she met in Colombia. But she wasn't sure where that was going. After one drink, I was done with that rooftop. (laughs) We stayed friends, but I never tried to go on I never tried to go on a rooftop with her ever again. Her wild ass. (laughs) She doesn't like my social media posts as much anymore. Oh, damn, Greg! No, shit! This was a whirlwind curve. Yeah, this was like a. <laughs> <laughs> I got whiplash from the curve chronicle. It was a whiplash chronicle. 
Wow. I guess you should have taken your ass on that trip. I think (laughs) think that was the takeaway. (laughs) The moral of the story is, if you get invited to Columbia... If you get invited on any... I was going to say any international trip, but... (laughs) Bitch, you invite me somewhere about two and a half hours away. I'd be like, all right. (laughs) We don't take much. (laughs) We over here talking about getting trunned out. Trunned out, right. (laughs) Get me jogged out. (laughs) Invite you downtown Syracuse. Okay, you know, a quick, a little two step. I fit bitted me out somewhere. <laughs> Did you say fit bitted me yeah, out? I just say fit bit me out. <laughs> fit bit me out. <laughs> fit bit me <laughs> out. <laughs> you, yeah, Grace, you should have gone. You should have gone to Columbia. You should have gone to Columbia, but also like. This person's not forthcoming this to be like, yo, this is like, was this their way of saying like, I think something was happening, but I met somebody in Columbia. Maybe. Yeah. Then just say that. Just say that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. It's like, uh, and it's, and they were treating it like the media. Yeah. We got to wrap this up. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Y'all dance crotch to crotch. Yeah. Maybe it was a platonic crotch to crotch. Dance. There's no such thing. There's <laughs> nothing platonic about crotch to crotchery. Montanique, okay? you and I have known each other for we have never like six, almost seven we've, years. We've never, we've never done anything crotch to crotch. Maybe we need to take our friendship to another level. Actually, it wouldn't be crotch to crotch. Okay, okay. Don't even, don't even. It'll be that. like shoulder to crotch. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead and say, why, why money? Why would it be shoulder to crotch? <laughs> because you're a small. Okay. Wow. Like, the, the thing about Curve Chronicles is so funny to me. It's like, this is the consistent thing, right? It's like, all the markers are there. And it just goes like, left and so just... quick. The shit stop. This is like dead in the trash. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, well, damn, Griggs. I just feel like, I just feel like what should happen now is, Griggs, whenever you want to send us the GoFundMe link for you to go to a solo trip to Columbia. Columbia. <laughs> we'll, we will share it within the Queer Walk community. you can't read that as flirty, like what the hell could be read as flirty? I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, we live in different times. You know, this reminds me, I think I did this Curve Chronicle on here before, but this reminds me of that woman that I matched with on a lesbian dating It app. was like, I'm not gay, I'm, I'm just looking gay. for friends. I'm looking for friends. What would give you the impression that I was interested? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. We matched on her. It's called her. It's called her. Not her BFF. <laughs> her. Okay. So. So this. Uh, next question. Yeah. It kind of flows from the does. earlier story. It does. So the, this question. The question is. Does kissing at the end of a date mean sex? Well, here's where we have to. Not that I ever take my feminist hat off. But putting on my feminist hat. Mm-hmm. Of course not. Nothing ever means sex. Sex, right? Um, so, except like an enthusiastic consent, consent, yes, an, an enthusiastic ecstatic, yes. I think what this question is actually getting at, though, is like, what are the what are the like nonverbal like enthusiastic consent things? And you're the expert on this because you did an amazing ep- episode, a segment on this here program, um, an episode entitled "Full Body Consent." No, it was called "Whole Body Experience." No, it wasn't. That's the name of the episode. Full body experience. Full body experience. We'll put the link to the episode in the show notes. Okay. (laughs) This is really fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so what what are the nonverbal ways that... Okay, so uh, this person says at the end of a date. So it's like y'all already have established that this is a date 
<laughs> like unlike in Griggs' situation, where oh like, yeah, Griggs. I thought it was a right, date. I thought we, yeah. Meanwhile, we're gonna talk about you and your new love of your life that you met in Columbia. So, yeah. So it's not that. Yeah, it's not that. This we both agree this is a date. We're kissing at the end of it. Okay. So, like, what what would you register as, like, a, body, a bodily consent? Huh. That is an interesting question. Because I think if we're kissing at the end of the date and I say something like, you want to come up? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was thinking that. Yeah. That was, was going to be the main thing I was going to say. But that's verbal. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's a broader... This is so this is where I mean I guess to, in the in the spirit of transparency I feel I actually feel uncomfortable. Damn, I wish I could find that article that I referenced in that. Mm-hmm. Because they talked about they give some examples of nonverbal consent. Yeah. You what you feel uncomfortable? I feel uncomfortable I, I guess just given, you know, the 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 moment in the mm-hmm. world that we live in like saying so I guess so I I guess I want to say like I'm not giving I I don't feel comfortable giving advice in that regard. Mm, I think okay. and I think about I the only thing that I feel comfortable talking about mm-hmm. is like my own that, yeah. experiences. That makes sense to me. Yeah. I was also thinking um from my work in, with couples in therapy is like a lot of so when I work with queer couples it's a lot, often about initiation like yeah, how yeah. do we initiate sex like right, yeah. um it was like kind of obvious in the beginning but now that we're actually like in a relationship for yeah. like 2 3 4 years we're like it's like a stalemate like which one of us is going to initiate yeah. um and where like consent can get kind of like anxiety inducing sure. like uh uh uh, uh I- <laughs> yeah and so I'm just thinking about like it has to be specific to the couple, right? Or the relationship, mm, not necessarily the yeah. couple. So it has to be specific to y'all, not this generalized. So uh, yeah, too sh- I see right. I see where we're going here. Okay. So like does kissing mean sex? No. Categorical, no. Yeah. But if we make it out and you're kissing money and it's like the you do you know the hand slide down the back? <laughs> It's not a go-to move for me, but I'm aware of it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm familiar. I'm familiar. I saw that in the appendix on page 75. Is this, is this the lesbian uh, handbook that you're referring to? This, I think this is in the third edition. It got edited out of mm. the second. There, okay. there, and then there was like that two and a half episode. Uh, but no, this is solidly in the third edition of uh, Queer... Queer Sex for Women mm-hmm. Handbook. Yes, yeah, that. Thank you. Yeah, because you know they changed the title in the second edition. Right. So yeah, the Queer Sex for Women <laughs> Handbook is like that hand run down the back right. thingy. That's like nonverbal consent for me. Oh, for you. So if somebody runs their hands down your back, or you run your no, hands I, down I, their yeah, back, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's like distinguished <laughs> folks. Start your engines. That's that's what that is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So what's like a nonverbal for you? Again? I think it's the same thing. It's just like, you know, you're making out and then, you know, some, you know. Get hands. I was like, I say some caressing starts. <laughs> the hands. Right. What you doing with your hands? Yeah, yeah that's, that's to me. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> I, this is funny because I was thinking about a session I had with a client the other day. But like between the knees and the bra strap, if your hands are like... That is such a very specific 
That's very specific instructions. From very specific body parts. Region. <laughs> You're such a nerd. It's 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 the, below the bra the, below the bra strap below, and above the patella. Exactly, exactly. Oh my gosh. Below bra strap, above knee. Yeah. Nonverbal consent. Yeah. Especially that inner thigh business. That, that's it. <laughs> All right. So um I'm, can I read the next one? Yes, you can. All right. So Nikita ridiculously named the next letter from Vondetta. No offense to actual Vondettas. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's a Vondetta listening, like... And she's like, not ridiculous anymore. Ridiculous like that! <laughs> but was, like, oh, 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 that's ridiculous, Montanique! <laughs> that's, you know that's not what I meant. I have mad love and respect for all the girl names, the black girls. The girls and the girls. It was just, it's so far from the original name. Okay, Is okay. what made it ridiculous. Uh-huh. Vondetta is like, okay. Okay, Montanique. <laughs> Stop saying that like that. <laughs> Miss Cotton Candy. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, now read the next Curve Chronicle. Okay. So, Vondetta writes... Um, actually, I feel like Vondetta's letter is like a a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Like, give hope. It's like the, an the... ultimate... Because uh, we say it's, you know, the Curve Chronicles is the dating woes and wins. I think that this is like a consummate win. Yeah, it's like an exper- like an overarching experience and now when this yeah. is where I'm at. So Vendetta writes, Vendetta's letter. I have had my fair share of dating wins and woes. Once I intimately learned myself and learned from my past relationship woes, I was able to flip that knowledge into wins. After years of struggling, my mental health is the best it's ever been. I know how to make emotional boundaries. I know what healthy communication is. I know what a narcissist is and how to avoid them. <laughs> I know what gaslighting is. Well, I'm, I'm glad somebody does because it took me a minute. I didn't <laughs> had no idea. I take heed in glaring red flags. I know I am worthy of love. I know that I am enough. Money's mental moment has definitely helped me on my journey. <laughs> it's <you>. okay. <laughs> it's amazing. It's an excellent, excellent piece of work. <laughs> all right. I say all that to say I am now in the healthiest relationship of my life. Yes, Vardetta. I have never felt more loved and seen. Just last year, I didn't even know who I was anymore. I had gotten so emotionally entangled in an abuser, I thought I was unlovable. Intimacy literally made me anxious, but yet here I stand 12 months later, stronger and better than ever. It can happen for you too. <laughs> I love that. This sounds like a love commercial. <laughs> Looking at my partner now, I feel an overwhelming sense of gratitude. I know I would have never attracted a woman of her caliber had I not first done the work to heal myself. I would have run from something so good and would have feared it. I know this gets beat over your head, but that self-love-ish really works. If you do the work and radiate that love from the inside out, what you need will find you. Your ancestors got your back. This ended up being much longer than I thought, but much love to you all on your journey. Money and Nikita, keep doing that good work y'all do for the community. Thank you. That that was (laughs) such a lovely letter to share. It was. Aww. Hashtag love is love. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag love in every color. <laughs> oh, that was a Lizzo reference. Yes. Love looks better in color. And healthy, emotionally, <laughs> boundary setting color. Yes, yeah. 
I was just talking to, um, I was actually just talking to uh, my bae about this um, last night. We were just like, just thinking about, you know, relationships and like past relationships and stuff. And it's like, um, it's not that people don't ever see the red flags. I think it's we see them and we ignore them. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know? Yeah. And so, so it re- so I was really happy to see Vendetta saying, like, I take heed of mm-hmm. glaring red flags. It's like, you know. Because especially it's like on some level, like what they're saying is like, you either think that you you either deserve it or you think, well, oh, you know, I deserved, you know, whatever kind of ridiculous, terrible behavior. Or you, you just think, oh, you well. You can't find better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Or even... Um, Oh well, there's all these other things that are that are about them that are okay, and mm-hmm. I and I deserve to put up with you know these other things, blah 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 blah. Even mm-hmm. if they, even if they seem small, they're usually you know first of all they're usually not, but it's yeah. just kind of like oh well they have all these other like amazing mm-hmm. um, qualities, but it's just like it's, I, it's, I think what they really get at is that like you know you don't you don't deserve that. You don't. You yeah, know, it, yeah. It, it's, it, I know it's one of those things that's easier said than done, but I mean that's that's really as you know as we say here the black ass bottom line. Yeah, yeah. You know? It you know reminds me of the moments in pose that make me cry the most is when they talk about like feeling deserving of love yeah. and like the things you do to yourself like um, that harm you. Yeah. When you think that you don't deserve love. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. Thank you so much for that letter. And that really was love and light. You know yeah. how people sign like love and light. That, that, that was letter love really and light. Was. Yeah. All right. So you want to read the next one? So we have another letter. And I have called this uh, listener and this contributor, Wilhelmina. For over six months, the executive director of a program where I work has been flirting with me in various ways. At first, I didn't know what was happening. I just thought she was being nice and appreciated the good job I was doing. I had no idea whether she was married, had kitties, or was in any kind of relationship. Therefore, I was just pleasant and observant, and I never turned her advances aside. But I noticed that she was sometiming, off again, on again, disclosing no concrete information. Hmm. I began to have sexual and romantic feelings for her. Mm-hmm. I believe she knew it too. As my boss, she had to tread lightly and so did I. Recently, I found out she was leaving the organization, so I invited her out for lunch at an upscale restaurant to show my appreciation for her encouragement and professional kindness yeah, to bet. me on the job. I was that's not all you was doing. <laughs> but anyway, she agreed. When we sat down at our lovely table, it was almost two hours of silence on her part. I spent the time making small, polite talk, which felt excruciatingly awkward. But I played it off and made light, pleasant conversation. There was none of the smiling, flirting, and romantic signifying that she constantly engaged in when I encountered her at work. If that had been the case, I'd planned to express my feelings. We departed the restaurant, then went our separate ways. No thank you note, no verbal acknowledgement. If she had a good time, nothing. Mm. On the one hand, I was relieved after months of this dilemma, yet on the other hand, I felt frustrated and played for a fool. By the way, she is a mature, professional woman, as I mentioned earlier, and I am as well. What's your take on this epic? (laughs) Okay, so before we jump into it, I just want to say that um, Hanifa and Red... Over at your gay auntie, and they need to say they they know they too fun to keep calling themselves. Okay, aunties. can we just do that? Because this is the uh, all curves all the time episode. 
I can't be calling nobody my auntie that I look right. <laughs> like I don't know. Oh my God. And, and let me just say this. I'm not saying that aunties can't be fine. I mean, aunties are categorically fine, right? right. That's like when, when, hey, auntie. Right. That's okay. But I'm not I'm not going to keep calling but red. Not like this. I'm not, we not kin. <laughs> and, and we ain't no kin, okay? And none. And I don't want, I, I know I love y'all podcasts, but I don't want to be one of the children. Okay. Not unless I'm getting spanked. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I didn't see this going there. Well, I, you know, you just well. I didn't. I didn't see them uh, pictures on the gram coming. Either. Oh yeah, Whew. yeah. I didn't even know she's too fine to be dropping. I need. Like yeah, that. I was about to say that's actually disrespectful <laughs> for you to be thinking that you could just post Instagram photos like that, looking all fine and shit. Yeah. So you know, stop that. <laughs> but anyway, um, outside of both of them being daddies, yes. Um, this, uh, they read this letter on their episode, um, episode 43, Is This a Date? Um, so, Wilhelmina, uh, sent it to both of us. Yeah. And so, yeah, so, um. That's, that's how you know Wilhelmina was stressed. Stressed. I mean, I, I would be in this yeah. situation, too. Um, and, you know, what's, what's the family here for, if not to answer questions? Collectively, from, Yeah. Sure. Um, so. What's your one, take? Well, I just wanted to, like, kind of give, like, a little bullet points of something that the auntie said okay that i i thought wouldn't have stood out to me when i was reading this um that they were talking about like when when wilhelmina invited the boss out they didn't tell the boss that like this is a date so you have to make those things explicit and maybe that would have stood out to me later as we talked through it but like even in the letter we laughed at that part you were like oh i invited I invited her out to celebrate, like, her accomplishments and uh, always, like, being supportive of my work. But that's not what you was inviting yeah. her out for. You was inviting her out to be like, so, you leaving the uh, organization, right. rubs hands like Birdman. Yeah, you know, it's not an HR violation no you know? more. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and so, I think... I think something that our generation can learn <laughs> from the aunties, and I don't, I don't know where Wilhelmina falls as far as like uh, I think, age. I think Wilhelmina says she's a little mature. bit older. Yeah, is that well? Maybe this is just a community thing for queer women that we have to start saying like, "Yo, I'm interested in you," and I was wondering if like you wanted to go to lunch mm. sometimes. But I mean, but you know the reasons why we don't do that because, well, I don't know. I, I'm making a, I'm making assumptions about. The, the, I guess I'm projecting my own assumptions onto this letter because for some reason I get the vibe that I don't I don't know if she said um, she didn't say if this woman was queer or not. So in she my know. so in my mm-hmm. imagination, I think that that's also and in, in not even my imagination. It's heteronormative. In my experiences, mm-hmm. it's like trying to also like walk that tightrope too. Yeah. So that's heteronormativity, right? Like assuming that someone is straight until proven otherwise. Yeah. In my world, I function on homonormativity. Everybody gay until they tell me explicitly that, that they're, they're not. They are not a practicing homosexual. <laughs> exactly, or, or even the twenty three percent, like you talked oh, about right. last episode. Yeah. You know, so it's like unless you explicitly tell me that you aren't interested in women and you're like flirting and sashaying and yeah. blowing kisses and winking and all this stuff in my direction, I'm gonna assume that. Hmm. Yeah. You, you may be 
interested in what I have what, to what did our friend Seth say? Because he would be like, oh, yeah, I think so-and-so is, like, interested in me. I'm like, oh, are they queer? He'd be like, I don't know if he gay, but I know he into me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. We got to have Seth on that episode. I'm like, yes, yeah. Um, exactly. Uh, I was trying to think of, like, why don't we do this explicit thing? Because I do. Am I just uh, a wild one out here? Just like Maybe. Just throwing caution to the wind? I do. I'm just throwing like, heteronormativity to the wind? I need you and I want you. <laughs> I hope, I pray to every single black feminist ancestor we have ever had and will ever have that you will never ever go up to a woman and do that. I've never done that. And don't ever, don't start either. <laughs> I'm you just freaking saying. weirdo. I guess that's probably what it sounds like in comparison to, I would like to take yeah. you to lunch to celebrate your career Professional kindness and your encouragement. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I know that, um, you know, something that I can't help but think about is like uh, gender presentation in this life. Yeah. Because it's like, are, are you the like visibly queer person at yeah. your workspace? That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Because I think that, I don't know. I've never. Well, I think I'm visibly queer, um, but still I think on the you fence. Are. But I yeah. think so too. But um, I, I know definitely folks who are masculine presenting or masculine of center, gender not conforming. Like I don't know what that feeling is like to to. For, to me, if if like a woman is like actively being flirtatious around someone who everybody like visibly reads as like yeah, masculine, a queer person, yeah, 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 then it's like okay, this is something, yeah. Cause you know, uh, the the queer rubs off real quick in public. Like, yeah, you're right. People look at a group, and if it's too many, uh, yeah, queer folks in it, it's like y'all the queer all drop gay. rule. Yeah, <laughs> the queer drop. It's like the queer glitter rule. Once, yeah. you know, once they get on somebody, it's on everybody. It's on everybody, yeah. right? Pretty much. Um, so I I couldn't help but think about that. I mean, but you know what? I just it just crossed my mind though that even if this even if this was like a platonic thing. Her boss's behavior is still bizarre. Because cause think about even in a platonic sense where if you were like, if you have a rapport yeah, yeah. and you, you have and you like a good little silence for two hours with somebody and then outside of that space, it's like, because my thing is like, if you're, if you're not having a good time, why even agree why, to begin yeah, with? Yeah. In the words of Mia, that would burn my pussy. Yeah. Like, it just, it just, I'm not going to sit there in silence, like, forcing conversation with you for two hours. Yeah. Just get your ass up and leave. Be yeah. like, oh, would you look at the time? Or something. Like, right. it is bizarre. Yeah. It's, it, just, it's just strange behavior, generally, it, it sounds like. Yeah. I don't... Huh, this is, like, the third experience just on this episode alone. Like, like from... From the first uh, curve yeah. we read, from Griggs, yeah. to like my coffee date experience, yeah. to this one, it's like, why are you initiating these things with like queer folks? Even if it is platonic, like, yeah, why 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 not say that? Like, I'm I'm really interested in being friends friends with you, yeah. or I want I want you to be my queer guru. Yeah, mm, like, yeah. Shout out to Doctor Shock. Yeah, that. I think that happens a lot too. It's like uh, people are like, I see you, and like how you're able to like navigate your queerness. Yeah, and at first that might. Oh yeah, because remember yeah. Doctor Shock even yeah. said like, don't date the the person. Yeah, that's your queer guru. Right. Yeah. Right. Hmm. I feel like there's something else happening there. I don't. I feel like with Wilhelmina's boss. Y- yeah, because I feel yeah. like I think I have encountered. 
Have I? I think I've encountered this kind of person. That treats you one way in one setting and another way in another? And it's just like, totally. And I feel, so in my experience, and so this is why I'm projecting a lot on here and, and, you know, rightly or wrongly, this this sounds to me like a closet case. You know, because you know what this made me think of? An experience I had in undergrad. I think I told you this story yeah. before. But like, yeah. We would like study together, kiss the whole time on campus. I, she didn't know me. And like, not that she didn't know me, but like actively would do things against me. Right? Yeah. Like, Montanique, I never heard of her. Yeah. What? I'm like, bitch, <laughs> what? You don't know me? What? Oh, you don't know me, but you you got a real good uh, working <laughs> knowledge of this tongue. That Cal 2 homework that didn't get done because right. we were kissing over the textbook. Yeah. So, yeah. That's interesting. And I think it's like, you know, it, it becomes too real. Because, like, mm. flirting. So, the thing about flirting, flirting is that. And it's, especially flirting at the office, right? Yeah. It's, like, forbidden. It's, and it's, like, like, mm, it's like a limbo thing, yeah. right? It's, like, you it's know, it's contained. unspoken. It's unspoken yeah. in certain kind of ways. But if you're on a date, then that's. It's real. There, yeah, there's it's no real. ambiguity right. there. Right, Um, And maybe, like, I'm, just to, you know, just to be upfront, I'm I'm being, like, a little tongue-in-cheek. When I say that it's a closet case, because it's also sometimes also it doesn't even mean that you're like closeted or you're like you're not in touch or unaware of your queerness. Sometimes people just like to flirt, and it's like actually I just I only want to do I only want to engage with somebody at this capacity, but I'm not interested in doing anything else. And I think if that's the case, and I feel like you at least should have the decency to just be like to to I'm, turn I'm, I'm a to turn the person. invitation down. Yes, yeah. Or, yeah, or to say, I know how, like, this could have been read, but I'm just a yeah. flirty person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because I just, unless, I think the older I get, the less I'm inclined to believe that I I am only feeling, like, a thing. Do you right, know what I'm right, like, you, yeah. Well, I, we call, you, I think you called it the queer imagination. It's like when you're a younger queer, it's like, oh, my gosh. Uh, she looked at me. Yeah, yeah. And so I think there's something. But right. the older you get, the more you have a sense of like, no, there's actually something right. here, and it's not just one sided, or and it's yeah. not my queer imagination. Doesn't mean that it need it, it absolutely needs to blossom into something else. But um, but can't we name it? Yeah, like can't we at least do that? Like some some of us can, some of us cannot. Yeah, because that's the tension. Why though? That's what I'm asking. Because like, what would this boss? This she's leaving the job. Yeah. What was y'all are outside the office? What would she lose from in that moment being like? So we definitely flirted at work. Yeah. So, but I mean, this is something that you and I have talked about just in other realms. I mean, people just don't have the experience of being direct. I just I think it's a hard mm. practice for a lot of people, and not even in just like romantic relationships. It, mm-hmm. Navigating multiple kinds of relationships, it's just not. I don't think it's a. Um, and I think I think it's also an especially gendered thing. You know, I think that mm-hmm. women do a lot of tiptoeing. Yeah, and a lot of you know. Mm-hmm. Doop, 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 doop. Don't want to hurt your feelings. And, 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 this and hurts of, worse. And, but and also some of this is also it's like um, a response to like a, <clears throat> a sort of trained way that you also like I think also try to stay safe in society. Where it's like you have in terms of like d- like encountering mm. dudes, you're like I'm just gonna try to let you down, right? Easy. And, right. And so it just becomes like an like yeah an ingrained way of like yeah. living and navigating mm-hmm. and being in the world. I've, Do you know I've what I mean? I've been talking about this for like the past two weeks, but like it's the pathology of niceness. Yes. It's like yes. you have yeah you have to do it yeah 
I, it also made me think of that Monica song. Well, I never meant to cause you no pain. Yep, yep. I just want to go. Okay, we got it. Thank you. But also, you know, I shouldn't silence you because I can't even believe you would know an old school R&B jam. It's not old school. Well. I was obsessed with Brandy. I told you. I thought I was Moesha. So it's oh, like. Oh, fair enough. Of course I have to know who Monica is. Okay. It's like, who's this bitch in the boy's mind? Anyway. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah. So this, que- this, um, this letter from Wilhelmina actually relates to a question we got on Instagram, too. There's oh, a lot wow. of workplace. What is y'all? You know what? It just seems like flirtation is like a revolutionary weapon in the workplace because y'all ain't getting no work done. Y'all like fucking strike. I'm just gonna flirt with my coworker all day. So the question on Instagram is: How do you flirt with a coworker who clearly likes you but has a boyfriend? My, you know what? My experience. I just say don't, 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 do don't it. even, don't waste your time. Don't, don't do it. I. Don't. <laughs> what did What did she say? No, 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 no Yeah, no. yeah. Just I would. It's just I feel like no, I've been do there. It. I've done that. I got the T-shirt. No, I've been there. I've done that, and I've got the therapy sessions to prove it. <laughs> that's that's the real. That's the real answer. <laughs> leave, leave that shit alone. Leave that guy alone. Leave, leave, leave alone. Let, let her be. <laughs> <laughs> or let them be. I just don't uh, don't even do it. Yeah. First of all, don't don't engage with anybody who has a significant other, much less a boy a boyfriend. I just like I said, I was young before. Like you don't, you do not want some boy running up on you about his girlfriend. Yeah. Like that's the last thing you want. And if they are in a a non-monogamous formation of a relationship, then this person who's flirting with you should be upfront and transparent yeah. about that. And they're obviously not cuz you're like, well she clearly liked me but she got a boyfriend. Yeah, cuz so, you wouldn't say but. Right. There was, would there would be no but. Open. Yeah. Yeah. That would be like, uh, she's in a non-monogamous relationship yeah. and has another partner. But I also know how humans work. So go ahead and just send us the update when you flirt with her and it all uh explodes. Buzz down, co-work on her. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, uh, please don't bust down on the job. Because then you will have heartache and you will have a stark inability to pay your bills and you have summarily lost your job. Um, I, See, to me... Like flirting, flirting builds to me. Like for this, that, and so yeah. like we should say that because that's not the case for everybody. Yeah, yeah. I think I need to be transparent about Same. that. Like I, I am like a highly sexual person, I guess. So like, so like nowhere on the like ace or demi spectrum am I. And so if I'm flirting with somebody, I'm like, this is leading somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And I'm a Virgo, so in my head, I've already planned out. I about to say you. <laughs> She's already working on the pay- payment plan to pay for the uh, to pay for the students, their young kids' tuition. I already have the, our children's names picked out. Yeah. Um. And so I just wouldn't be able to do that because it it builds like a a intimacy. You yeah. know, like oh my gosh, like this person likes me. We're gonna run off into the sunset. And yeah. I'm, I'm gonna wear an uh a suit like Solange did for her wedding, <laughs> and it's gonna be on the beach, but like black sand. Like I'm not doing. That. I'm not doing that. If all you want to do is flirt. But again, if you're somebody who could just flirt and flirt, especially depending on your job, like yeah. make them hours go quicker. That That is true. And also, if again, if it's going to keep you um, from producing profit for the boss, then flirt away. <laughs> what, would, what, what would Marx do? Why would... <laughs> 
doling out Marxist dating advice. I'm just saying, I think, you know, you know, these subterranean acts of resistance are important. Okay. All right. So we're going to move it on along to the next one then. All right. I'm going to read it. I'm yeah. going to read this one. Go ahead. So the next curved chronicle is from period Patty. So period, period Patty. <laughs> I don't know who the true curver was, but I guess it was my period. So I had gone on my first date with this person. We went to a bar then to see this queer warehouse and we were dancing and then she drove me home, right? And so we were making out in the backseat and then she reaches for my pants and I'm just like, uh, I have to pee and I leave the car. Meanwhile, I'm just awkward and didn't want to say I had my period. Well, it sounds like Mother Nature was the curver there. Yeah, mother, mother Nature was like... Not on my watch. <laughs> <laughs> there will be no sex in the champagne room. I saw this meme once. It was like, uh, person with a uterus, uh, doesn't get pregnant. A uterus wants revenge. That's <laughs> Really what? You just was like, oh, bet. <laughs> say uh, less. Uh-huh. Say less. Okay. All right. <laughs> the next seven days. <laughs> so, period, Patty. I, I fully understand being curved by your period. Yeah. Um, if this person too has has like a period, I think that like they would have been understanding of that. Yeah. And if they don't, if they aren't a person who has a period. Don't fuck anybody who doesn't have a period who doesn't understand that yeah. <laughs> like periods people are have epi- periods. Yes, yeah, have periods. Um, yeah. I also understand just being an awkward person. You would have said you had to pee and got out the car? Um, I probably would have said I had to pee, but I would have I probably would have done some ridiculous, awkward, dramatic exit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have a meeting. <laughs> you would have done that. I would have done that. <laughs> I'm going to be late for my meeting. <laughs> Have you ever had to tell somebody that you're on your period? Like when things are about to get... Yeah, I've done it with... I, yeah, with partners. Mm, oh. Hmm. Can I ask this? Um, You don't have sex on your period? I do partners? not. I do not. Hmm. Do you? Yeah. Oh. I'm not going to waste the whole... <laughs> Five days. <laughs> wow. A month? You know how much time that adds up to over a year? Hell no. Wow. <laughs> Having sex helps cramps. I just lied. So. I just totally lied. I have. Hmm. I forgot. Welcome to the Red Light Runners. Oh, wow. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, I... Yeah, I, I, that, I mean, the first, like, two days of my period is, like, no. Nothing's happening. Yeah. It's yeah. like a construction zone down there, so no. But um yeah, later on, like when it's lighter. Yeah. I, like I've been preaching the good word of menstrual cups forever. They changed the game. So especially mm. for folks who have periods yeah. and are in a relationship with somebody else who has a period or those parts to do so. I feel like it's easier with a partner though. If it's like somebody you just like meeting and like yeah. to do. I just think that we don't... It's, we, just, it's not normalized, I'll it, say that, to like open there's that. There it is. So there's the stigma around having yeah. a menstrual cycle in the first place. But the thing that I am keep thinking is that we just don't think about how creative like uh, like queer sex is. Mm. Like just because just you're on your period don't mean y'all can't get... <laughs> popping in the back. <laughs> <laughs> period, Patty. 
Get There's... it in the backseat of my ride. Mm-mm-mm-mm. See, Ari Lennox or Lion Babe. Those are your only current references. Well. But yeah, there's a lot you could have done in that backseat, Patty. Period. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right. Should I read the next one? Sure. Oh, and thank you for sharing that with us. Period yes, Patty. we appreciate that. I love that y'all like uh, know that we're fools, but y'all trust us. With, right, with yeah. Your <laughs> with your sensitive information. Yes. All right. So we also got this from Instagram. And this is about... Someone's best best date date ever that they've ever been on. Okay. So, uh, are we just calling this person best date? Mm Mm-hmm. All right. So, best date says, all right, met on Tinder, surprisingly, went to get raw vegan food and then walked across the street to an Ethiopian restaurant and had a whole Ethiopian coffee ceremony. Now, if y'all ever had that coffee, you know it's strong with that K because South. (laughs) (laughs) So, we were both wired. Turns out there was a Biggie versus Tupac party going on, so we Ubered there from the Ethiopian restaurant and bopped the night away. Is is bopped like a no? Y'all danced? No, okay. I, I mean maybe. <laughs> I don't. I, I I pretty. Bop, bop, bop. I don't think that that's what they are getting at, but I. But they danced the night yeah. away in the Biggie versus Tupac. Those parties are really common. Did we even have one up here? Really, I've never seen mm-hmm. a Biggie versus Tupac party. Yeah. Um, uh, that's such such a. Um, I mean, I know Tupac is from the West Coast, but that's such like a coastal thing. It's such a weird coastal thing. But this is the South. They oh, stuff. I guess so. They're really common. Really? Yeah, these parties are common. Yeah, I wouldn't go to one. I think it's. I, I think it's you know all their legacy, but I think they both have like bops that. Could get you know still Do classics they? in the party. I mean, so let me just say oh, because because I'm I'm a, y'all about to drag me. I can feel it. I'm not ahead, saying that they're ahead. not. They're drag both her. y'all drag me every no 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 no. no. I'm not music. I'm not saying that Biggie and Tupac you know were not phenomenal and at the top of their craft. But I just I I don't I wouldn't want to go to a party. I think top of their craft is a stretch for one of them. But go ahead. Who? I'm not gonna say Gr- Gr- Shots fired. <laughs> Come on, say it. Um, but you wouldn't go to a Biggie versus Tupac party. No, but I'm glad that Best Day had a really good time okay. at the party. That's super sweet. They have grooves. Come on up. Okay. 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 For real. Okay. Now, if you follow that with like Biggie's One More Chance. That's not. That's just not a part of the remix. This is, this is just, it just it just loses me. It's just yeah, I I don't I just don't get it. And I think it's because you don't party to like hip hop. That's that's because, really what it is. That's like that's really what it is for me. Yeah, because it's something fun about like singing along. Oh my god, I this get is around. The thing. So I, I that is that's a bop. Okay, this is the thing that aggravated me when I first moved. Because up until I lived here, I have lived my whole life in the South. Mm-hmm. And I just did not understand why when I was going out in New York, I'm like, why are niggas just standing around rapping? Because that's fun. That's not, that is not what you go to the club that's, for. It is what you go to the club for. It's like a, it's like a, a shared 
It's like a ring shout. Like <laughs> not I've shared a ring shout. Alone, but but it's also a different way of getting hype because you know I had fair the, enough. Fair I enough. had the opposite experience. I had the opposite culture experience. I grew up in Queens, and then uh, I moved to the South, and everybody's and, dancing. And, and but it was particular type of dancing, and all the music had incredible beats, but all the rap sound like. <laughs> Anyway, that was not the the person's way. I I wanted to say, like, best day ever. I love these kind of marathon hangout sessions. I was just literally about to say that. That is my favorite shit. That's how you know, like, you really, like, Mm -hmm. you know, you really vibe with somebody. You really get along with somebody. And this was huge transitions, right? So, like, a raw vegan dinner. Yeah. And and then we go get some coffee at the Ethiopian spot. And then... We go out and dance the night away. To Biggie and Tupac. Yeah. Shut up, Nikita. Don't ruin this. But you get what I mean. Yeah, I absolutely like, get it. Th- like, think about the raw vegan restaurant crowd. Yeah. And you can move from that space with yep. me to the Biggie versus Pac space yeah, yeah, with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Marry me. <laughs> Hashtag Virgo. <laughs> no, no. It's just, that's the um, Venus and Scorpio coming out, but. Yeah, mm. whatever that means. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna keep speaking like this to you because you're a non-believer and an it, outsider. It really so. feels like you're speaking like it feels like technical language. It is. It's like it's like actual jargon. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, and maybe I. I don't know where your Venus is. This might relate to you needing the space that you need in intimate relationships. I'm gonna guess it's like in Sagittarius or something. What does that mean? Uh, Sagittarius is like the wanderer. Oh. Yeah. Not that you have a wandering eye, but uh-huh. it's just like you're okay and still feel good in your relationship if there's a lot of space. Yeah. Yeah. This is true. So speaking of, those, that was all of the submitted curves. Did you want to share a curve, Nikita? So I am going to share a curve because I was like, what am I going to, what curve chronicle am I going to share? And I don't think I ever shared this on the episode. So um, the babe that I'm with now, she actually curved me before we got Hard. together. Oh, all right. All right, bunny. That wasn't a curve. That was a chop chronicle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> a guillotine chronicle? <laughs> Damn, bitch. What's wrong with you? It's funny because I love both of you. All right. So. That, that was absurd. But go ahead. <laughs> so, so, I mean, prior to any curving of any kind, we had been friends for a, a while. Y'all, they were friends, but they had all these protest pictures together where they would happen to be holding the same sign. This this is common. This is not a that's not that's not a bizarre thing. You're not about to besmirch my my sign holding at protest. At a at a protest with hundreds of people, the two of you just always happen to find each that's other. That's not even and true. need support on your <laughs> one, your one poster board. Okay. Now, anyway. <laughs> So, I think I was talking to um, another queer, a fellow queer about this one time. And we were like, you know what? You just get to a certain age where, like, overwhelmingly, you're just not interested in people who are not interested in you. Yes, absolutely. And so, I think I'm pretty good, like, at gauging when somebody's interested in me. Well, 
in this moment, I, the gauge was wrong. Actually, I don't think it was total. No, it was wrong. I'll, I'll concede that. So we had just been spending a lot of time together. We like, we had gone out one night. So I told her, I was like, I was, I told her I was going to share this story okay. on the thing. I don't know if I'm, I'm going to tell this part. I don't, so she just, she's like, um, she gets cold, like very, um, mm-hmm. she's, she's cold a lot. Yeah. So we, I teased her one time because we were at, we were in a meeting one day and she had a, like a mug and there was, you could see the steam coming out of it. I was like, oh, are you drinking tea? She's like, no, I'm just drinking hot water. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's weird. Mm-hmm. And so a few days later, she sent me this picture. I mean, you couldn't see anything, but she mm-hmm. sent me this picture of her in the shower, like drinking With the, the hot yeah. water. And I was like. I, was I like, remember. I was, like, I was like, "Is this a shower pic?" Again, you couldn't see anything, but she was just like, "Oh, you know, just you, know, you don't send somebody a picture of you in the shower, right? Right, drinking anything." <laughs> <laughs> so then, and there's just like we were just spending a lot of time together, and like we were good friends, so we already had um, a rapport. Queer walk. Um, I need y'all to pause the episode right now. And in the, well, after I say this, pause the episode. In the hashtag, QueerWOC, I just want to show a hands of how many of y'all have friends who have sent you a shower selfie. We're just friends. We're just hanging out. <laughs> that is not something you do in a friendship. Right. Right. So I was like, huh. It's a boundary in my friendship. <laughs> Don't send me no picture of you in the shower. And so I was like, hmm. like, I just put it on my, you know, I just made a mental note of it. A mental note of the shower photo. Yeah, because I was like, this. I was like, I'm getting. I feel like I'm getting vibes from this person. Mm-hmm. I've, I'm like, I'm stuttering here because I'm trying to figure out how honest I want to be. Because <laughs> I, I want to see if I want to challenge myself to tell the story honestly in a way. Because um, if I feel like I'm, if I'm honest about it, I would completely and utterly humiliate myself. Okay. <laughs> so this is a safe space, Nikita. Shut up. So we went so we went out for drinks one night. It's just me and you. And and thousands of listeners. Oh. Oh, oh them. <laughs> so we went out one night and I had like two beers. And if, and if anybody knows me, I'm a lightweight. So she drove. You know, we had a good time. We went out to a bar. We just talked and laughed, had a wonderful time. And then I so she drops me off and then I text her. I was like, hey, I was like, I really wanted to kiss you tonight. And so she dropped me off. Mm-hmm. And again, we, we had been close friends, and I sent her that text message. Mm-hmm. So she comes back over because she was like, she was like, oh, she's like, we should talk about this. I don't, I, I don't remember. Yeah. And so we're just sitting in my room, having the most awkward, trying to have a very mature conversation about this. How? And because so she was she like, came back after you texted her that you wanted to kiss her. Yeah. And she didn't kiss you. No. And so she sitting was in like, your bedroom. Yeah, it was like two a.m. because we had like left the bar too. <laughs> this is the more I tell it, the more bizarre it sounds. And so she was like, "You know, oh, so here's the kicker." Um, That's not the kicker. No, the kicker is I feel kicked. <laughs> no, and so she was like, um, and then we had like another conversation about it. So she was like, "Oh, like I'm not queer," and she's like, "But I've told somebody before. Like if I was, she was like." Like you know, you will be at the top of my list. You know, it was that's kind of like a. Oh, I'd much, I, you know, I'd much rather be your friends. That's like a, that's like a terrible curve mm-hmm. for, for a friend, right? Ouch. Right. So I was like, I'm not queer, but if I was, right, right, right. But you know, 
So why she had to come back to tell you that? I don't remember. <laughs> For it to hurt worse to say it in no, person. No, I mean, I get it. Like, you would want to have that conversation in person. No. No. If you're going to curve me, don't do it directly. She should have just sent a message. Nah, yeah. girl. <laughs> or maybe, hey, can we talk about this later? But, yeah. like, that night, you sent the message? But if we, if she would have said, can we talk about it later, I would have been anxiety-ridden from... From the time that I had sent the message until did you get a reply or did she just turn I honestly around don't and come no back? I don't remember I, I'm sure she replied I'm outside I would have thought I was getting kissed is what I'm saying if you came back after I text you that nonverbal consent <laughs> wow no I can't believe you still speak to me. <laughs> <laughs> so when we first got together. Um, Ouch! So, so the same. It felt like the same thing was happening again, like like a few months before, probably actually a month before we like officially got together, because we were. It was it. It was like such a bizarre moment. We were hanging out. We were spending a lot of time together again. I was like, <laughs> I'm not doing. I was like, we're not gonna make this no fucking annual event. Will I embarrass and, myself yeah. in front of you? Yeah. And so, um, it was so funny because we were. Cause I so Montanique always teased me because I live like a bachelor. I, I only got one couch in my house. And it's a little love seat. <laughs> she lives like a frat boy. <laughs> anyway, and I really don't. Anyway, so we're sitting real close. We had stayed up all night watching Stranger Things, like just just marathon watching it for no reason. Just imagine me in parentheses, y'all. This show is not good enough to be like marathon watching sitting on a love seat with somebody. But continue. So we were sitting real close, and there was this scene. And Stranger Things, where it, it was like it was like mirroring what was happening between us. It's like this, this like these young teens are like obviously into each other, and they're mm-hmm. sitting real close, and they're being like really, and we and they're being like really awkward and neurotic around mm-hmm. one another. Mm-hmm. And so we had been kikiing and laughing the whole time until we got to that scene, and you could feel like the tension amongst both of us. We were, we were like, wow, this is a really awkward <laughs> and intense. <laughs> Moment. It's like, wow, it's like we're literally watching what's playing out right between us. So, of course, we're not saying that. We're not saying that, but we're just sitting really closely on the couch, like watching this scene happen, being extremely awkward with Mm -hmm, one another. mm -hmm. And so later on, I think the next day, she was like, hey, Nikita, I like you. And I was like, oh, I like you too. I really enjoy being your friend. Ah, got it. And I was like, it took a whole year, but you got to return the curve. (laughs) Boom. And I was just like, I was like, what is that? Boom rusted. Boom rusted. And I was just like, what is that? I was like, I like you too. I was like, what are you, I was like, what are you trying to say? Because I knew, I was like, I knew, but I was like, you're going to have to be explicit about this. And so she had said she had talked to her friend and was, and the friend, and everybody agreed. They're like, well, after that last fiasco, it was like, you know, you have to be the one to make the the first move. Yeah. She made the first move, and here we are. So, so did you finally kiss? No. <laughs> or, or have you been in a kissless life? <laughs> <laughs> the, the kiss spell has been broken. <laughs> so why'd you say no, fool? I thought you meant that night. Oh no, there, there was no, there was no kissing in the champagne no, I room. If I, if, if I know the two of you, you you talked about it at length. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. So, yeah. Wow! How did I never know that? I thought I thought you knew this. No, I did not know this. And it's so funny because so oh my god! I don't have we talked about this on the show. 
So that curve, so she curved me, and that happened. And then one night we were at your house, and so money does this thing in this very vindictive way, where she just forces people to come to her house and will just read off people's uh, charts. That is not. Yes, you do. That is not why people yes, were do. here that night. Okay, well, you were you were force reading people's uh, charts. First of all, I, I can't force anybody into giving me their date, time, and place of birth. You emphatically demand that we give our birth info. <laughs> anyway, I'll never forget. It was so funny because she was there and mm-hmm. you read her chart mm-hmm. and it was and one and in the and in the description it was like you're going to have a very intense and wild love affair with a woman. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I was like, if I was like, if she's gonna be doing anything with any woman, <laughs> it's gotta it's be gotta be me. And. Alas, I was correct. <laughs> I was like, you know, I don't even believe in this shit. But it was written in the stars. It literally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I should just say that I sprinkled some of my like magical glittery goodness on this relationship as well. So one of the things she said is when she realized she had feelings for me, she said that she was trying to avoid you. Yeah, I, we, we've talked about this. I knew it. Because you asked her. Because she said, because she was like, if money asks me, she's like, I, I can't hide it. Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm not going to be able to hide it. Because I think she said, you asked, like, are you queer? She's like, well, you know, I don't know. It depends on if you, oh, uh, you know, I know. If the lighting <laughs> hits, right. You know. It was like, I. It, it was in context. I didn't just bust out and be like. You gay, you gay. <laughs> but I was like, are you queer? And she was like, I, I specifically remember this answer because it was so convoluted. She was like, I've, I've never considered myself so, but. I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility that there would be a woman that I would find myself attracted to. And I was like, <laughs> so, so is, that a, <laughs> is that a yes or a no? What? <laughs> you should have been like, okay. <laughs> I did the Waka Flocka meme. I was like, mm, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh! I we gotta hear more of these relationship origin stories from you. <laughs> that was a wild ride. <laughs> yeah, and this is also over the course of like a year, right? Mm. From summer to summer, or was it beginning of summer, end of summer? I think it might have actually been summer. To... It might have been a year and a half, or mm. a year and a half, or two years actually. Wow! So, so you see why I love Luther Vandross. You know, I'm more of a slow burn. <laughs> kind of a <laughs> queer. Yeah, you really like that longing love. I mean, I, but it, so, but he, uh, just to just so I can still have my dignity about myself. It wasn't like I was like pining for her like the whole mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. the interim. Sure, what's wrong with that? That's what I do. That's not your mo. Yeah, that's, that's not me. Yeah. Well, curved by current bay. I think it's safe to say that I have a crush right now, but I don't want to jinx it. Okay, okay, okay. So maybe I'll pull a Nikita. And like twelve episodes from now, I'll give y'all an update. Okay, cause my, you know, my my DMs have have been kind of fun lately. Didn't you say somebody message you said they wanted to fuck your guts out? <laughs> they have been. Nikita told me that she was gonna behave. <laughs> I'm trying. If I talked about this, I'm... I I prepped her, and she's still wilding. I'm just saying. Nobody has ever said that they wanted to rearrange my esophagus or my liver. Nobody said they wanted to rearrange my esophagus. <laughs> my esophagus is staying intact. What All about I your need... appendix? <laughs> oh, I don't need it. <laughs> mm, yeah. 
<laughs> I'm just like, what? It's yeah. Uh, I need to, uh, you know. You're effervescing something. Um, I think, you know, <laughs> I think it's hot girl summer. You know, I'm just trying to make Megan proud. But. Oh, our patron saint. <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't think it's any accident. Like, I told you this before. Like, I'm just very happy. Yeah, And so, yeah. you know. And it radiates, right? Yeah, you know, when I tip on through, you see the joy. Mm-hmm. Um, I bet they they really are are admiring the view of that joy, too. Yeah, you know. Is that what you call it? Your joy? <laughs> Shut up, Nikita. <laughs> All right, so we hope that y'all enjoyed those curves. But we actually have another alliterative segment for y'all. Charlene Carruthers. (laughs) (laughs) So Nikita and I got to interview the the light, the baddie, the phenom that is Charlene Carruthers. So Nikita, can can you tell us a little bit about Charlene? So if you don't know who Charlene Carruthers is, you need to know. So, she's just a, a long-time uh, movement leader, strategist, organizer, um, author. You know, she's writing a lot about and has, like, a lot of participation in um, black liberation movements, like, mm-hmm. that are happening in the modern day. She was the founding national director of Black Youth Project 100. She's worked alongside hundreds of young black activists and built a national base of activist member-led organizations. So not mm-hmm. just like city or regional, not that there's anything mm-hmm. wrong with, you know, anything wrong with that, but at the national level. Yeah. And it's like a group and an org dedicated to organizing and creating justice and freedom for young black folks. Mm-hmm. So they define young as 18 to 35. And so it's just one of the most generous, sharpest, I think young organizers we have. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a real, you know, a leader, somebody who's just really committed to like bringing other people in and um, just, like, winning and, like, making a real change in black people's lives, mm-hmm. in all black people's lives. And so if you're not following her on Twitter, follow her on Twitter, Charlene CAC, to just have your timeline full of brilliance, sharpness. You know, it's very thought-provoking. Funny. Hilarious. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, I mean, if you don't know who she is, then you definitely need to know. And if you do know her, then I, I'm sure you probably feel the same way about her that we do. Yeah. Y'all, y'all know, we try to rein in the fangirling, but we just can't. Yeah. Like, I mean, this is, we, yeah. Yeah. We believe in, like, celebrating each other while our stories are still in process. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I also wanted to say about the interview that uh, the book we keep saying the book like oh my in the gosh and, yes. and we you know I I, I kind of poked Nikita about this before we started but I think there's like a, a organizer like vernacular that yeah. that we get into because we, you know we talk about this stuff all the time but the book we're referring to is unapologetic a black queer and feminist mandate for radical movements by Charlene Carruthers um, and I'll put a link to the book. Uh, in the description and a link to all Charlene's things like her website and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So it'll be in the description of this episode. So I just wanted to say that. And also if the um, audio gets a little wonky, cause I'm, you know, I, I just always worry about that. Yeah. It's a podcast yeah, yeah. And I'm a perfectionist. Um, you know, 
we we over here doing this in my living room. Yes. So just, y'all give just us some grace. Just try to be patient and, yeah. <laughs> patient and generous with us. Yes. Um, so we hope that y'all enjoy this conversation with Charlene on this alliterative ass episode, Curve Chronicles of Charlene Carruthers, <laughs> as much as we did. So we're going to get into it. Here, here we, we go. go. So of course you lay it out in your book for us, but one of the first things that we usually start off asking our guests is um, what is your origin story and like specifically what is your your organizer origin story mm-hmm. well of course I, I just have to express deep gratitude for the opportunity to talk with y'all about this uh, one this is like an incredible audience that y'all have built and community that y'all have built and whenever I talk about my story so much of it is rooted in connection and so i really appreciate how you all are connecting with people and people are connecting with y'all all over the place um, oh my gosh. yeah so thank you of course <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> you're welcome um my origin story well i talk about this a lot i'm i was born and raised on the south side of chicago and my parents uh were uh, they are, rather, my parents are children of two black women who migrated from Mississippi. They migrated from the South. And for me, I always locate myself with people who are like the children of the great, the many great migrations of black people here in the U.S. Uh, out of the South and into mo- many northern and even like western cities. And so mm-hmm. uh, it's really important for me to locate myself that way because when folks like ask, who are your people or where are you from? Like I find a lot of just, I, I find myself being settled in the fact that my lineage is tracked primarily back to peoples who were, you know, forcefully brought over to this country. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, people who, you know, toiled for hundreds of years and then many of those people, millions of those people who migrated north and uh, many of those who landed in Chicago. So that's like how I see myself as being a part of those people uh, Mm -hmm. and what those people, like what we eat, how we talk, Mm -hmm. uh, the music we listen to, the the way we dance, all those things are really, really important to me uh, and both how I see myself and who I see myself being connected to and why I do the work that I do. So I think that's that's the most important origin story for me is like my grandmother is from Greenville, Mississippi and on the other side from Fires Point, Mississippi. And oh, wow. you know, and before that, I don't know. I know somewhere mm-hmm. on the continent. I know somewhere on the continent and actually like I'm at peace with that without ever cuz you know, people move and yeah. I'm a collection of people. That's who we mm. are uh, in my family and many black people uh, whose lineages, uh, lineages are connected on this land. Mm. That's so dope. It's like a patchwork quilt. You yeah. know, like creates you, keeps you warm, but you're like all these pieces. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. Nikita, you wanted to, because this It's related. Was, yeah. So, um, I'm Chicago. I mean... So you you talk about, you know, a lot of, in the latter part of your book, you talk a lot about, like, the organizing 
that's happened in Chicago. And it's just, it's just a place. I mean, whether you're thinking about like the Haymarket Square riot, you know, for the fight for the eight hour workday or like Fred Hampton, it's like, it's not a place that just has that rich and deep radical history, but it seems like it's a place where that radical memory is still very alive in the organizing. So can you talk more about how that organizing um, has impacted you and informs the work that you do uh, with uh, BYP 100? For sure, you know, so I grew up in the back of the yards neighborhood, which is the same neighborhood where where Solinsky is known, you know, for organizing with the back of the yards neighborhood council. Uh, and just his motto of organizing has been exported all over the world with rules for radicals and rebel for radicals, all those things. And I had no awareness of that man when I was growing up. I had no idea about any of that history growing up and at the same time there are definitely Mm -hmm. there are definitely young people in Chicago right now who are super aware of the organizing history in Chicago and even like across the world so for me when I first got into student activism at 18 as a college at while I was in college I, I, I did I still didn't know a ton about Chicago at that time like at least not social movement history in the same way that I understand it now. Like, I'd heard of Fred Hampton. I'd heard of Harold Washington. I, I, I hadn't heard of Saul Alinsky at all. Uh, I hadn't heard of, Hay, of, the, of Haymarket, the Haymarket riots. They probably talked about it, but I didn't connect with it uh, as a mm-hmm. high school student. And right. so a lot of the history of movement work in Chicago the, the more that I learned about it, the more that I understand what's happening now, what we're fighting for, what we're fighting against, the, the things that have improved, um, the things that haven't improved, and like what's ahead of us. So it, it helps to ground me, uh, our movement history. It, it helps to provide perspective and knowing that, hey, the We Charge Genocide delegation from maybe like four or five years ago mm-hmm, was mm-hmm. a repeat of another delegation, another effort by by, by people in Chicago, yeah. by people in Chicago decades yeah. before. And so, and they, they, I mean, they taught the, the, the more recent iteration taught many of us that history. They were aware of that history. And mm-hmm. it's just this continuum of both, resistance and resilience in creation that I am I see myself a part of and that's why I dedicated a whole chapter uh to in the book to Chicago and really like people you could write a whole book I mean first of all Chicago organizers are arrogant as hell too so we think we like like no, like you have done everything all the time. I mean, you people and people have written books about Chicago movement history and specifically mm-hmm. Black movement history in Chicago for sure. There are even books about Black women in organizing in Chicago, and so that one chapter was just you know honoring the uh, some of the work that I've been a part of and some of the work that's that's happened in Chicago. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about all these full circle moments that keep happening. And like we just talked about, we charged genocide last episode. Um, yeah. yeah. So for uh, one of our segments, we do like a queer walk or a queer pock 
of the week. And so we highlighted uh, Monica Trinidad for, um, you know, all the work mm-hmm. that they're doing. And then, you know, we love the lit review. And so, yeah, it's just, yeah it is like a full, full circle moment. Yeah. But before we get too far away from it, I wanted to ask, because I, I recognize that, like, some listeners might not know, but um, what is BYP 100? Can you just... Explain what BYP 100 is and like you call, I love that you called it your um, like political home. And can you talk a little bit about it? For sure. So in 2012, there were a group of young black people working with Dr. Kathy Cohen, uh, who is a black lesbian political scientist, activist, many, many, many things, scholars, just a lot Mm -hmm. of things. And uh, the creator of the research in like, uh, also like a platform media platform called the black youth project and they had a youth advisory council and they had a conversation about having a national convening of young black activists from across the the united states Mm -hmm. and folks were uh, a year later uh, the weekend of july 12 2013 that convening happened and i was there that also happened to be the same weekend that George Zimmerman was found not guilty yeah. in the killing of Trayvon Martin. And so we were there in that moment together and decided mm-hmm. to build a national-based building organization uh, as a result. And that wasn't the exact plan going into it, but that's where it was the moment called us to do it. And so sometimes people will call me the founder of BYP 100 and I have to correct them. I'm not the founder. I'm the founding national director, uh, but I'm not the founder. There are many of us who founded this organization. And so, uh, and that's an important part of our origin story. So Mm -hmm. uh, I transitioned out as national director uh, last year and our new, our two new co-directors are Janae Bonsu and Deasha Jackson. And yeah, have y'all had them on yet? Uh-huh. Have y- y'all had them on yet? No. Oh, I said, yeah, y'all got to have them on the show. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so those two are now uh, co-leading the organization. And just like last week, uh, launched our new chapter in Atlanta. Uh, so BYP 100 is in Chicago. Detroit, New York, Washington, D.C., Milwaukee, New Orleans, Louisiana, Jackson, Mississippi, uh, Durham, North Carolina, and now Atlanta, Georgia. And then we also have members like just across the country because Mm -hmm. black young black people move all the time. And so uh, I'm just trying to make sure I caught everybody because I'm not trying to get cussed out. I think that should be everybody. Uh, Shout out to all the members at large. Right, right. I'm no longer on staff. I'm no longer on staff, so they can't cuss me out if I got that wrong. That's not my responsibility anymore. But how do you become a member of BYP 100? Oh, so now you can become a member by joining a chapter, and Mm -hmm. or uh, the national membership process. People have to email membership at byp100.org. And yes, for young black people between the ages of 18 and 35 who are committed to working within a black queer and feminist politic. Not everybody in the organization is queer or feminist. Everybody is black. 
Um, not everybody is queer or feminist. They are, though, committed to working uh, through that politic and upholding mm-hmm. the values of the organization. So people run all, do all kinds of work, all kinds of campaigns. There's a sex work decriminalization campaign in D.C. and Chicago, campaigns to erase the gang database in Durham, some participatory budgeting uh, work that's happening there. And I think they just started a cops out of the school program. I mean, campaign. This is this is so amazing because one of the things um, that uh, we were going to ask, so I didn't, uh, we hadn't realized that there were BYP chapters like in the South because one of the things um, that I was interested, that we were like interested in is that, you know, you everybody, you know, expects things to be popping off in Chicago and New York City yeah. and, you know, on the coast. And it's like, you know, we live in Syracuse and we live in the Rust, in the Rust Belt. And, mm-hmm. then, you know, you make a brief mention of like Detroit and, um, you know, your book. But I was just wondering if you could just like talk a little bit about um, since you since you were in like this national uh, capacity, if you had a sense about what like young black folks were doing in um, in the South and in rural areas and in like mid-sized cities. For sure. So Detroit, uh, the chapter there has been involved in a campaign uh, to stop what's called Project Greenlight. So there's this program where like shopkeepers or business owners can get this light that's also a security camera that monitors people that is, and it's supposed to be like a safety measure. But what it really is is, is a surveillance measure for people mm. in our neighborhoods. Uh, they also, you know, there's all kinds of work happening in Detroit at, in Detroit at large around access to, to what we should all have access to for free mm-hmm. and like safely is water. Uh, so people, like I, I think people hear a lot about the work that's happening in, in Flint. Uh, there's been a water crisis in Detroit with people having access to it and having their water cut off. Black people in Detroit have been working on environmental justice for decades. Yeah, upon yeah. decades now. And so mm-hmm. it's not new to like to black people in Detroit, which I think was it in the Midwest for sure. And one of the I'm, I'm not sure the number right now, but is one of like still uh, one of the largest black populations in this country uh, mm-hmm. in, in any place. And so it's super important to pay attention to that work. I think there's also it's important to uh, point to some of uh, the, the the great work that's happening in the South that folks in BYP 100 collaborate with Southerners on New Ground for the yes. Miami Bay bailouts. And yeah. uh, our chapters in uh, our chapter in Durham has collaborated very closely with Song on that and really connecting the work uh, that's needed to end money bail like completely to actually mm-hmm. also meeting the direct needs of people who are caged right now uh yeah i mean there's so much work happening yeah all over the country and you know that's yeah that's all i keep thinking is like how much is is going on at any given time and also like you having all of this on your radar even if you're not like like there physically like doing stuff with it and because i think because i'm like in the middle of trying to finish my dissertation like i just i have I have so much respect for you and like the work you do and just like admire that you're able to write through all of it. But how, like (laughs) how, how did it feel like possible? And how did you um, like have the capacity to write a book in the middle of doing all the things? Hell if I know, I, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that's a real ass answer. (laughs) Yeah. Like 
it was wild. It was wild. Like, being able to um, get all those thoughts in my head on into words. I would definitely say that there are a number of people who played a role in me even being able to do that. Uh, my... My, I had an executive coach, um, Patricia, and Patricia, uh, she, or Pat, she, uh, we had like, we had weekly accountability conversations about my writing goals. And so say for a particular week, I set a goal of 3000 words that week. And mind you, like, I didn't really take time off. I sort of had like a month or two towards the mm-hmm. end of it, but I didn't actually like take a sabbatical to to just where I was on like I was actually able to just focus on my writing right. and I still was calling in a staff meetings once a week with when I was writing and so we would check in how are you doing where were you many weeks I did hit 3,000 or more and there were some weeks when I didn't hit my goal now, I'm an early morning writer so I like to write between like 8 a.m and 11 a.m and so I would do that most days uh, and then also because I'm on a, was on a plane a lot, I could write on. I, I write really well on planes. I actually mm-hmm. do work. I work really well on planes. I know some people aren't really able to work on planes, but that's like one of the places where I get a lot done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wrote on planes. I child. I tried the whole go get a cabin in the woods, solitary <laughs> writing. That shit don't work for me. It doesn't work yeah. for me. Uh, mm-hmm. I wrote most of the book at the Currency Exchange Cafe uh, when it was, it, it's changed to a different type of like restaurant now, but when it was like more of a cafe, I was there, I wrote most of the book there and mm-hmm. I would go, I would order damn near the same thing uh, every time and uh, so much so the staff knew what I was going to order and uh, yeah, I would just get a lot, a lot of uh, writing done. And so, I, I looking back, I, I mean, because people have asked me this question a lot since mm-hmm. since last year, mm-hmm. and I don't know some of it. Some of it's fading, I think, um, about mm-hmm. what it was like. But I also uh, picked up a coffee habit, and I am super, super like weak sauce when it comes to caffeine. Like <laughs> some people, coffee habits like, oh, I had three cups today. No, for me, yeah. it's like. Drinking a half a cup of iced coffee was more than enough for me. Oh wow! Yeah, it's pretty. I'm pretty weak sauce. Did it? Did it initially set out for you to be like a mandate as opposed to like a, I don't know, like a reflection or a memoir? That's um, a great question. That's a great question. So I actually set out to write a, a guidebook for organizing mm-hmm. to start off with. That was my original intention. Uh, And after I finished writing it, my editor was like, that's not what this is anymore. This this is like she she pushed me to be a lot more uh, direct, a lot. Yeah. And a lot more clear. And I'd already ended the book with the mandate by Mary Hooks. I was already Mm -hmm. doing that. And so after reworking the title a few times. And even beyond that, I mean, I got feedback early on saying, we know that, you know, other people have said things before, but we really want to hear what you think. And mm-hmm. you can speak from more of a, a space of expertise. Yeah, more expertise than I was. And so, 
it, it just became a lot more direct. And even like I tell people, this was the nice book. This was the nice book. This was not the spill the tea book, the <laughs> drag it all out book. This was the nice one. And so mm-hmm. I, I would definitely say that it, it evolved into that. I, I was very clear that I was not writing a memoir. I told people I'm not writing a memoir. Uh, people oftentimes push people like me to write memoirs. And I wanted to write something that was both like had a, a sound theoretical uh, framework and also uh, practical things for people to do right. uh, yeah. while reading it. Still, I remember <laughs> I did a reading at Williams uh, with uh, some students and faculty. And Joy James read an early uh, early version of like two chapters. Scared the shit out of me. I was like, oh my gosh, Joy mm-hmm. James is reading something I wrote. And for people who don't know about Joy James, Joy James mm-hmm. is like a, a black feminist philosopher, scholar, a- even activist, all around badass, and has written some, just has done a lot of phenomenal work, even outside of her writing. And mm-hmm. so she read it, and one of her things was, <laughs> and she was like, you're going to have to die in order to write the book that you need to write. And mm-hmm. she was talking about, mm-hmm. like, it's sort of like a Buddhist, uh, I think, right. um, some, a, a bit of Buddhist philosophy and, like, some part yeah. of you, the impermanence, like, something has to go, something has to die in order for you to be able to, like, like for something that needs to come, like, to be birthed to happen or mm-hmm. to exist to happen. And basically how I took it was that I, was gonna, I had to let a lot of things go. Uh, other people's expectations, mm. my own like insecurities and fears, to be able to write the book that Unapologetic evolved into. Wow! It didn't start there. I mean, you let us know if we're wrong. It seems like like you there's there's a sense that like you feel some kind of tension between this more personal writing, you know, versus like more like explicit like organizing political and theoretical um, writing. So we just wanted to get your sense of how you're like trying to like walk that line or what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. So it is, I, I got spent the past, I guess like five, six years or so, or not even, even longer than that. I would say the past deck, almost decade doing more public uh, faced political writing, be it, or like social, like social movement writing is very different. So that meant like, Campaign email writing when I was working for Color of Change, writing grant applications, uh, grant reports, uh, writing articles uh, about like or opinion pieces, things like that. And of course, like as a black feminist, I am clear that uh, I'm clear that the personal is political. Sure. And that Mm -hmm. anything that I'm writing that's political is connected to like what I care about, either me most yeah. directly or to my people. Mm-hmm. And so there's still something that's personal about it. And it still allows me to be somewhat detached from it uh, because mm-hmm. I'm not just talking about me as an individual, but I'm talking about some systemic dynamic. Uh, mm-hmm. The personal writing is different. I have to go, I, I go from like personal to systemic uh, and then back to personal, uh, but with the political stuff, it's systemic and it may mm. have some personal stuff in there, but it's definitely like the personal is like, okay, how does this relate to my life? And mm-hmm. requires me, at least me, to be, uh, it requires me to have a certain level of vulnerability in what mm. I'm talking about and what I'm doing, which is very different. It's different to write a piece about 
black maternal mortality and how it's impacting black women, uh, even right. you know across the city of Chicago. Like, okay, mm-hmm. and I can have a byline that says I'm a black woman, blah, 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 blah. It's another thing to write about how it makes me feel to see mm-hmm. that information splashed all over the place and talked about everywhere. Yeah. Uh, that's a different matter mm-hmm. because my experience is just my experience and I actually can't speak for other people when I'm talking about individual, my individual experience. And so mm-hmm. there's a different risk at play and uh, how it will be received. And there's also, and this, I'm not sure where, where, whether it's a good thing or, or what, but there's a different type of accountability, frankly, when I'm doing personal writing. I don't have to check in with nobody else about that. And I'm actually used to doing the, the like, the checking in. Like, I'm mm. used to that, that whatever I'm writing, and, and Unapologetic was actually my first opportunity to really do that, honestly, to write something from my own voice where, sure, I'm accountable to larger movement, but, like, I'm not going to get, like, it's not my members that I have to, like, vet this book with or my yeah. staff that I have to vet this thing with. And so mm-hmm. there is something freeing to, for me, for, to, with uh, personal political writing uh, that I don't get from political writing that is more geared towards, like, it's one step removed from, like, external. me as an individual. Yeah, yeah, that's external. Yeah. 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 I definitely uh felt you doing that in Unapologetic. It's like I I just love the way you write, but like the way you flow through like your experience connecting it to larger systems, coming back close to home and then like making it bigger, like international, like I definitely felt that. And it, it um what you were just saying also reminded me of the way you wrote the motherhood piece about like these you know, it's it's like such a personal experience, but like it's informed by these bigger things too. Like this isn't a, a easy decision for black queer women to make. Mm-hmm. And I told Nikita, I was like, this is something we've never talked about on the podcast, but we talk about off mic. A lot. Oh, oh yeah. wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Y'all, so, so y'all haven't, oh, go ahead. <laughs> oh no, go ahead. You good. No, I'm just gonna, so y'all, so you all haven't talked about it like on um, on the mic before that's that's fascinating to me and it to me it really uh at least how it lands for me is something that i that it, it's a conversation that so many of us want to have and i really hungry for and uh feel like there's not enough space to talk about it because I, I ain't nobody's expert on parenting and shit most parents aren't experts on parenting honestly but um it is something that folks, yeah, a lot of people want to talk about. And there, I know a lot of black women who are struggling uh, mm-hmm. through this. And uh, I, I even know some, some black trans folks who are struggling through, trans masculine folks who are struggling through, yeah. like, trying to conceive. And so yeah. it's, it's a thing. Even, even coming to the space of, like, wanting to be a parent. Yeah. Like, I think even that's a struggle, not, not in like the same ways, obviously, but, but like feel, feeling like it's okay to want children. And, yeah. yeah. Cause I'm like, I see some of the people that I, <laughs> that I look up to the most in the reproductive justice space, like they are mamas. They, yeah. you will see them at the rally fighting, yeah. uh, to, uh, to, uh, repeal the Hyde amendment. 
which uh, uh, which blocks federal funding for abortion care for low income people, women, trans folks, all folks who are trying to um, seek abortion care. Uh, and they got these big old pregnant bellies. And I'm just like, go mm-hmm. ahead, yes. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, because they're really clear. It's like, if you are pregnant, you shouldn't be forced to be pregnant. It should be something mm-hmm. that you want to be. And because yes. you got like something. It, I was talking to somebody about this two days ago or yesterday. I was like, be, pregnancy is really weird. You would like literally have something in your body that is reliant on your your body, your like everything is just growing mm-hmm. there, and you it, it is something that deeply impacts your life and yes. forever. It impacts yeah, your body yeah. forever, and so mm-hmm. nobody should be forced to do it. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, and that's just one way, right? To to right. become a to become a parent, and so I just it it is something for me that. Like I, 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 that's why reproductive justice resonates so heavily with me. Mm-hmm. That it's the right to choose mm-hmm. or to not, or choose to or to choose not to to parent, and yep. uh, we should be able to do any combination that we want. Yep, yeah. yep. Um, we're gonna put a link to uh the article that you wrote about choosing motherhood. Yeah, but even what you just said reminded me like it's only through like people in my life who are passionate about reproductive justice work that that being a mom even feels possible for me because they constantly remind me that like we have never mothered in isolation or like alone and and it it does take a community to to like have babies Mm -hmm. and i think so often because you know we lose that we forget that we got we got a whole um gang (laughs) that's gonna be around whole squad yeah yeah that's right. Mm-hmm. But how are you able to sustain um, like relationships while doing this movement work? Well, the truth is, for me, and yeah, for me, it has always been difficult. And mm-hmm. until I think not until even more recently have I managed to have some semblance of balance. And honestly, I had to get that for myself first like outside of like uh, the relationships that I'm in um, yeah. and I like I have to work I have to work for friendships I have to work for my partnership I have mm-hmm. to work for relationships with my family like I, I am the and any of them heifers can tell like if they tell you different <laughs> they would be lying I'm the one who calls I am the yeah. friend I am the friend who like consistently calls and I do that very intentionally because mm. like I otherwise I could use the excuse of being busy for why I don't talk to people or see people. And yeah. I'm like, yo, if if I can manage to remain in communication with people and see people with my ridiculous schedule, so can you. It is mm. really about how I prioritize things because I've definitely been in relationships before where it just fell apart. And part of it was because of my schedule and how um, and, and the the mental impact of the work. And so right now, like I've been in a relationship with someone who is also in movement, and she, I mean, she's in a, a it's Mary Hooks. He's a, a mm-hmm. co-director of Southerners on New Ground, and mm-hmm. she uh, she has quite the schedule. 
and like and there's quite the set of responsibilities and so every day is a choice between the two of us mm, and every wow. single day is like it's work it takes a lot of work and we're not mm-hmm. the only ones there there are a number of us like in our friend group who are in relationships with other people who have like really big responsibilities and movement yeah and uh mm-hmm. we talk about it and i we, we we can always talk about it more but it's, this is something that we mm-hmm. talk about and like how do we how do we do this thing and i feel fortunate to have people like Dion haywood in my life uh who is the executive director of women with the vision and she's been married and been with her partner uh shakita for for years now and she's like and we have other people who are just like mentors uh, mm-hmm. kathy cohen and beth ritchie like there's just there are a lot of people who we can talk to uh about relationships who who you know just been at this thing for a longer time yeah like yeah us, mm-hmm. who are also doing like, movement work yeah can like uh, mentor you in like the practice of love oh basically. yeah oh yeah. yeah and just like talk yeah talk to them you know yeah. we get to just talk to them and they can they'll be honest with us and uh not judgmental because they've been through a lot of the things that we're holding now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I, I was just like oh you make it sound so easy but also so complex <laughs> oh my gosh i make it sound easy it's so hard it's so hard it is so hard it is so hard 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 and is the biggest is the yeah. biggest challenge just the schedule? No, like not being able to be in space. No, it's not even. I mean, it's what I think is what that for me is what it creates. Like not being able to be in the same place, uh, like as consistently as we would like to. That impacts intimacy. That impacts like if you just want a regular schedule. It impacts like um, uh, ability. Like it, it just. I don't know how to describe it all, but mm. I know that it impacts a lot of things. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. It's so different. Like people who like they come home to their partner or they see their friends like, you know, every, every week, day, yeah, every day, or every week. <laughs> like that's just not my life. It hasn't mm-hmm. been my life for a long time. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Like that's, <laughs> that's what that's how life is for you. And it's very normal. Like that's a normal thing. And like the normal for many like folks that I, in my like chosen family and friend group is very different for many of us. So, yeah. and we just trying to figure it out, trying to work it out. Something that uh, just stood out to me um, in your book is just like the international footprint. It's like very much in like that black radical, like Pan-Africanist, internationalist, you know, black feminist, like internationalist, um, Tradition. So, can you just talk more about how not just like that perspective, but your like direct experiences, how that shaped and informed your like approach to the work? Yeah. So, I'm actually whenever I think about this stuff, I think about how much I don't know, and how uh, my experiences uh, in like even touching black movement, black politics, experience all that stuff, global globally started when I was 18, at least in a more public sense, because I went to a super international high school on, on the north side of Chicago. It was a regular public school, and um, a lot of people from all over the world would like go to that school and still do go to that, uh, would go there and still do go there now. And so I had that sort of grounding going into college. 
And so when I traveled to South Africa uh, for the first time when I was 18, it, it just changed my, it changed everything for me. Mm-hmm. Coming from Chicago, being in supposed uh, post-apartheid South Africa, because mm-hmm. the apartheid still exists um, in many ways in South Africa. And uh, being there, and since then, I don't know, I've traveled all over the world. I've been all over Central America. I've only been to Brazil and South America. Uh, I've been to a couple. You know, I've been to a couple places on the continent uh, of Africa because there's only one continent. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> one the continent. continent. Yeah, I've been like through Asia a bit and I've been through a bunch of places in the Caribbean. And so uh each place has contributed to how I understand myself and how I understand the world, be it like being in in Xi'an and mainland China and people having not ever seen a black person before is not too much different from being in in Bloomington, Illinois with white people who never <laughs> seen a black person before in mm-hmm. real life uh, or being in Cuba uh, at this time and thinking about what it means to still be, uh, to even have a socialist country in the middle of capitalism in 2019. Uh being in Haiti and being deeply, deeply inspired by both the history and what's happening right now, now and like yeah. a people who refuse to give up uh, mm-hmm. in, the, in the face of like repeated attempts to destroy them uh, is it, it, it shapes so much of what I of what I think is possible. Uh, and even some of the work that I'm moving into now with a, an organization I'm building called the Chicago Center for Leadership and Transformation. One of the things that I've um, experienced and observed is a major barrier that black folks, uh, typically black black Americans or African-Americans, uh, the, the a language barrier that many of us have and only speaking mm-hmm. English. And it's not all of us, but there are a lot of us in movement. I would definitely say the majority of the people who I encounter in um, black liberation work in the U.S. only speak English. And yeah. uh, it's a problem. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a huge problem. It prevents us from connecting with other black folks right here in the U.S. who speak Spanish and are in mm-hmm. movement uh, doing work. Uh, it prevents us from connecting with um, Latinx folks who aren't black, so brown Latinx folks who speak Spanish. Um, it, and it prevents us from doing transnational work uh, be it in Haiti, with folks obviously speaking French and Haitian Creole, or in Brazil, mm-hmm. folks Black folks speaking Portuguese, and so I'm working on building out a program that focuses on uh, wow. language education uh, for Black folks who are monolingual English speakers. Uh, and we're gonna start small. I see, like in ten years, us being mm-hmm. able to have actually touched hundreds of Black folks in movement. Uh, around uh, in increasing our language capacity, uh, and it'll start like I said, it'll start small, and it'll start with Spanish and expand to other languages where black that black folks are speaking around the world uh, to really strengthen our our ability to do to do movement building. Everything, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. 
We work on it. You wanted to know more about the uh, Chicago Center for Leadership and Transformation? Kids? Yeah, I've, I've been uh, seeing stuff about that. So you just mentioned that you're going to do, um, like one of the things that y'all are going to do is this um, this language work, but what else um, is on the agenda and on the horizon for the Chicago Center for Leadership and Transformation? Next month, we're going to have an event, a learning circle. So that's going to be our primary like political education uh I don't know what word I want to use. That's the way we, the one of the ways, the one of the primary ways we're going to do political education is through learning circles where people literally come to learn something and learning from each other. And we're like recognizing that expertise is held in many ways and from many people, by many people. And mm-hmm. uh, the first one is going to be on displacement of black and brown communities in Chicago. We're going to bring people together to talk about something that people it's 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 inc- it's increasingly in the news uh and and people are talking about it more and more and folks have been talking about it for quite some time in the span of 10 years between i believe 2000 2010 we lost nearly 200,000 black people from the city of Chicago mm-hmm. and that wasn't on accident and everybody didn't leave cuz they wanted to a lot of people left because they felt that they had to yeah. and uh there are some like there are varying levels of like awareness and understanding and why and the dynamics of that and like how it happens and the conversation actually has to be had between black and brown folks in Chicago mm-hmm. because we're seeing mm-hmm. what we're seeing uh, increasingly is the displacement of uh, we have a very large Mexican American Mexican immigrant population in Chicago that has been there for decades and for, for a very long time and uh many of those folks are being displaced out of their communities. And then I think we used to have an even larger Puerto Rican population than we have now. I'm not sure about the numbers on that. But these uh, these communities are being impacted as well. And it's like some things that are happening now in brown folks' communities has happened with black folks already. already. Yeah. It's already happened with us. So there's yeah. so much learning that can be done mm-hmm. There, yeah. there's so much mm-hmm. learning that could be done, and it can only be done if we're in conversation with each other. And right. you know, some people are, of course, are already working with each other. And this is not the first time that conversation is happening, but we're gonna have the conversation as well. Yes. And uh, and then we're gonna do some work, uh, some other studies, some study groups with people, because really the goal of it is to alleviate some of the work that or- grassroots organizations have to do. Uh, Absolutely. On a day-to-day basis. So that's one part of the political education. The other piece is strategic communications. Uh, I have, I don't know, a lot of people may or may not know this about me. I actually come out a lot of like digital um, communications and media work uh, before. Yeah, I've done a lot of that. And it's something I really enjoy. And it is something that is very expensive to be trained on. And to have access to people in the field. And oftentimes that, yeah. that those things are happening on the coast and not in the Midwest. So yeah. uh, our goal is, uh, the thing we're working on now is actually like a strategic communications boot camp. Where people can actually come together and learn some stuff. And be connected to other people who uh, are who, who are doing this work. And have been doing it for quite some time. And then lastly, grassroots organizing training. So yes. the sad truth is that we don't have enough organizations that are able to provide 
the amount of leadership development that we need. The ones that are are like overstretched. Mm-hmm. I think about Black Organizing for Leadership and <laughs> Dignity. They basically have they. I am a bold evangelist. Uh, I will talk about them forever. And, you know, they are doing incredible work with black folks across this country. And actually, they're even, like, dipping into some stuff outside of the U.S. Uh, and, like, they they can't, they can't don't have the capacity to take all of us in. Uh, they, that, mm. That's a lot of work. Um, Center for Third World Organizing, the Blackout mm-hmm. Collective, the Highland Nikita Center. is over here praise dancing right yeah. now. <laughs> there's so many. There's so there are there are a number of groups, mm-hmm. and I've talked with I've talked with our folks at most, if not all, of these groups, and like well before we even announced this, this is what yeah, well before we even announced this, I had conversations with people about this idea, and uh, it, it's it's largely recognized that we need a lot more capacity. Uh, yeah. for for leadership development. And so I'm looking to add to what's already happening uh, and um, to help meet a need and not replicate that like stuff that's not necessary, uh, but mm-hmm. uh, to do things that, yeah, to help, help, help meet the need. So that's generally strategic communications, grassroots organizing training, political education, and foreign language education. That's the... <laughs> Just that. I like how she ended. She's like, oh, that, just that. Just that. <laughs> what is, so I think, I can't remember how I um came across you on Twitter, but I think it was like one tweet, and I was like, I don't know anything. It was a while ago. It was years ago. I was like, I don't know anything about this person, but I was like, from the way I see this person engaging online, I was like, I know that this person is an organizer. Um, And something that I think that is so... Um, something that you just seem to be so skilled at um, that you do. It's not just in the book, but like also in your um, social um, social media presence is like just the generosity that you have with people who are not like we all come into this work, you know, at different times, blah, blah, blah. Like that's not a new um, thing, but you're just your approach um, to you know, push um, people away. It like brings people in. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, I just want, uh, uh, we would just like to hear you talk more about your approach to um, political education. And it's something that I think is important. The, like the way that you phrase it is like black people are able to grapple with complex ideas because I think that there's like some like anxieties that I think that people, especially in the academy, end up projecting onto um Others around, you know, jargon and accessibility. Mm-hmm. And so I think they end up throwing up the baby with the bathwater. And it's like, those are hurdles to be overcome. It doesn't mean we totally concede the field of political education. So could oh, you just absolutely. talk more about that? So I am, I'm not trained as a teacher or as a, yeah, I'm, I don't have any like teacher training. What I have done for a long time is like facilitate conversations. Like since I was 18, facilitate conversations about complex things with people coming from various places. And I I, I feel like I just started getting good at it maybe six, seven years ago or maybe five or six years ago. I feel like I'm actually, yeah, I feel like I know what I'm doing. Uh, and... For me, I've I've been really clear that that one there was a time where I didn't know the things that I know now. Exactly. Yeah. I was I was doing trainings in 2010 when people in the spaces I was in were just starting to use pronouns, and it was still mm-hmm. preferred gender pronouns. This was mm-hmm. two, actually 2009 2010, and yeah. I remember that time, 
And I remember it not being a standard practice in most meetings, in most spaces. And I'm sure that other people have history that's like longer than that. I just remember that being the case in 2009, 2010. And uh, I, I, I know that. And I know what it's like to like talk to folks who have never heard of a lot of the things that we talk about. And yeah. then a couple months later, they are very clear about these things because they've been mm-hmm. in community or uh, they, they've taken the time to study and all those things. And so for me, it is always like coming in as a, as a movement educator or as a facilitator in a way that holds that humility of like, I didn't always know the things that I know now. And that I didn't even hear, I didn't even know prison abolition or abolition of the prison industrial complex was a thing until 2013. I'd never heard of it before. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. uh, what I look like, cussing out people, talking about some, you know, we need body cameras or call the cops or whatever. Mm -hmm. What do I look like doing that? That would be so hypocritical. Of yeah, because I didn't know this stuff. I talk about it in the book. It was Asha Ransby Sporn who introduced me to abolition as a concept, mm-hmm. you know. And she's much younger than me, and yeah. so I think it's just. And I tell people all the time, if you can't explain a word in a story, then you don't. You probably actually don't know what it means. Oh, like, oh you yes. probably don't know what it means. <laughs> And, you know, like a a word, a concept, a theory or whatever the fuck you talking about. If you can't explain it in a story, Mm -hmm. then you don't you probably don't understand what it is. And so I've I I am I've been committed to figuring out how to talk about really complex things in ways that can relate to people and Mm -hmm. be it through a story or like I'm not going to throw around a word if I can't explain it like yeah in a way that they can relate to it and the words are allow us to and these and these are these concepts and theories which is a set of ideas to explain something it's like that's what a theory is that's (laughs) what a theory is is, right to explain something um and uh i i think that those things help us to understand like put context to the thing that we've experienced or the thing that is happening. And Absolutely. so, and to have some shared language. And so, uh, it's something that I, I really enjoy doing that kind of work. Uh, it is something that's necessary. I love talking to people who have even heard about prison abolition. It was like, no, I don't agree with that. Like, I love, like, I can have mm-hmm. that conversation with someone and not be upset about it. Cause it's just like, oh, I remember what it took for me and how mm-hmm. I thought about this and what this meant for me. Uh, and it's a shame. I'm not saying that, you know, I, I, I'm always explain all things to everyone. I'm not going to do that. I, I'm yeah, that's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm committed to doing what I am though is like, how I'm going to engage with you is not as if I think you're like, uh, like just completely unintelligent or unable to understand or be condescending. Cause I've right. sat in those rooms it like university setting and people saying why people don't understand this thing no people don't mm-hmm. understand this thing because you're a terrible writer you're a terrible right. communicator <laughs> you can't communicate that's why people don't understand what the fuck you just wrote it makes no sense like exactly. that's why and um right. you don't even understand it 
And so, like, it's 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 weird. So I, I just think that we should always uh, believe that our people can understand complex things. We actually have to take the time uh, to, like, build with folks and be in community with folks uh, so that if we're going to, if, if our goal is to arrive at some shared language and shared understanding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this just uh this makes me think I always go to this um example. It makes me think about um Robin DG Kelly's book, uh Hammer and Ho, when he's talking about black communists in Alabama in the nineteen twenties who couldn't read, but there were an organizer would sit in the middle of the room and read the Daily Worker. That was the Communist Party's paper. Mm-hmm. And there, somebody would read the article out loud and then they would have a political discussion and debate. Yep about you know those ideas and mm-hmm. so i just like when i read that in your book i'm like yes like and our people like this ain't nothing new our it's people have new. been grappling right, right you know with these ideas but like you yep. said you're just a trash ass writer or you don't actually know what you're exactly. talking about yeah and, or you can't uh like talk to people about it right so yeah. it's like if you can't talk to somebody about it like what use is it really yeah. like and what use is the theory and like is this really communal if like you can't share That's it right. with the rest of us and you know when I find, I find, when you, when you give the example of someone reading in the middle of the room and with folks who can't read, I find it really hard to believe that organizers today wouldn't shit on that. Like, I just don't, I, I feel that people have gotten to a point where they would be like, they would argue so long about the elite, about the so-called or supposed elitism of the person who can read as a yeah. like it, without ever talking to the people who can't read well they won't they won't talk to the people who can't read they will so they will spend hours talking about how fucked up it is that there's a person who can read who's mm-hmm. reading to folks as opposed to asking people what they want and yeah. i'm like okay maybe i am reading in this meeting and then maybe after this meeting people are gonna take like somebody then who actually knows how to help people learn how to read is helping people learn how to read like mm-hmm. that's like mm-hmm. you know it yeah that, I find it I find it really difficult to imagine <laughs> that we could even get, mm. like, do that and and I would be I'm happy to be proven wrong and somebody to say that's actually what I'm doing right now uh, the people who I'm around a lot of the time just like yo I'm, I don't believe that they wouldn't just argue about it like the way that you engage with people on social media like around the morehouse thing you said you tweeted something that was so funny you were like this is why people don't like organizers because i'm like how and it's just like these simple things how can you just yeah. reframe it to be like it's great that they got that but it wouldn't be great if everybody else had that you don't have to yeah. be like well the capitalist global one yeah, exactly exactly <laughs> and there's just there there's something in in um in this particular right moment where mm-hmm. like these like we pounce on each other in particular kind of ways um that seem like like specific to the, to this moment uh, i know it's just like i don't believe in billionaires i know I, I i think i've said literally on twitter before in a different moment about how abolish billionaires like i totally Believe I believe that. it was when 444 <laughs> came out. And, oh. uh, wow. <laughs> we, we have a stand here. We have a stand here. <laughs> I know I've said it before. I know I've said it. I know I've said it before. Because I don't believe billionaires should exist at all. But strategically, that's not the moment to say it. Yeah. Where you got all these people who are like turn excited. I, I know I was excited. Like, hey, they finna get their loans forgiven. They don't have to live with them shackles like I do. Like, this is great. This is I'm I'm gonna be happy for these young black men. 
great. And I'm going to talk about billionaires, you know, a week from now or some shit. But this is not the moment where people are like all jumping for joy for you to like rain on the parade. That's not it. And so I think there's at least part of it is like folks uh, not understanding or not caring really about like bringing people into movement. Like not and or just not like what does it mean to bring somebody into this work or what does it mean to engage somebody who wasn't engaged before in this work? What does it take? And shame doesn't actually get people into it or or keep people into it. It might get you in, but it's not gonna keep you in. And so it's like, oh, that's a word. Yeah, you know, like you might be when if I'm a person, and I if I'm a person who sees you talking trash about how billionaires shouldn't exist. Um, after these students, like after uh, homeboy Robert Smith decides to pay for these students' loans, and I'm like, dang, like, am I not supposed to be happy about this? Am I yeah. not woke enough? Am I am I not conscious enough? Because I'm celebrating this. What's wrong with me? This person is an expert. This person is always out in the streets. Mm-hmm. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, that's not how we bring folks in, and that's not how we keep folks in. By, like, shaming regular, like, normal feelings that people can have. It's like, oh, dope. You excited for them? What would be possible if this was happening for all of us? Like, mm-hmm. I, let's talk about that. Like, let's yes. talk about what would be possible if yeah. this could happen. With every, mm-hmm. Let's talk about what would be possible if they didn't have loans in the first place. In the first place. You know, and th- like, how are we inviting people into conversation? And mm-hmm. so... And I think there's also maybe some like you know I'm a I'm a perform like the most I'm gonna be as the most conscious person. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the most whatever whatever. For some people that might be the case. I don't know, but I just I think it's I think it's shitty organizing if mm-hmm. we just want to point at like what's wrong in a moment when people are excited. Like the night that Obama was elected is not the night to talk about him yes. being a neoliberal. Electoral politics. It's not the night. The black face of empire. Exactly. Like that's not the night. He he was absolutely the black face of empire. That's yeah. not the night when Oprah is crying. Yo, when yo your uncle is crying somewhere when your in the street. Your mama is crying. That's not the moment to talk about how trash he is. Yeah. You yeah. know. So there are other moments. There will be other moments. So yeah. yeah, yeah. It just—I feel like I've started to remix like uh, Tony K. Bombara's quote about the uh, about the artist, and I feel like the role of the organizer is to make organizing and the work irresistible. irresistible. Yeah, and it's and you don't do that by shouting out people in a thread of 140 yeah. characters yeah. on a Tuesday night. <laughs> yeah. You know, and speaking of making uh, the role of the organizer is to make the revolution irresistible. Um, I like to do that, love to do that, actually, through music. And oh, my God. up here singing on the Black Joy mixtape. Charlene Carruthers, can, please. So I, I just need to say, I was at Montanique's house. I came over, she was doing her hair. Yes. And we were just kiki, and I was like, Montanique, what in the hell are you listening to? I was like, what is this? I believe your actual words were, what in the black ass, black joy are you listening Can Can you please just tell us how the black joy experience came to be? Yeah. So it's really so much. uh, Okay. (laughs) So 
So, uh, how did it come to be? We've been talking about an album, a mixtape of some sort or something since 2013, I think. And people saying that because there were so many artists in the room when BYP 100 was, was founded. Singers, um, mm-hmm. MCs, like all, all kinds of folks. Uh, rappers, like all kinds of folks in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, we, you know, we're also going back to Chicago, the home of, of slam poetry, um, the, or at least the birthplace of slam poetry. We had just had all these people in um, in the room who wanted to put something like act, and actually record it. And it was really Jonathan Likes who pushed it. Oh, that boy. That boy. Yeah. Healing? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes, he is also... Jonathan, speaking <laughs> voice, singing voice, Oh, everything. my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Jonathan, a.k.a. Uh, uh, Beyonce Likes, a.k.a. Uh, Jonathan Knowles. Uh, he is... <laughs> Jonathan Knowles! Yes, yes. We... <laughs> he He's largely... First of all, he I feel like he, he bamboozled all of us. One night... We were in D.C. for, like, some leadership meeting, something we had, some meeting, and he got space with uh, Andre, and uh, she uh, produced a lot of the album. And uh, she got us space at Howard's, in Howard's recording studio. And so I thought we were just going to record one song. We messed around and recorded <laughs> a bunch of the album. Don't fuck around it. Recorded 24. Yeah. It's like... Uh, album. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. I had no intentions on recording anybody's solo. That was not the the point. That was not, or at least that was not the the thing I was told. I was not told by Jonathan that that's what we were gonna do. And so it was a long process from even creating the music to getting it out. And it includes a number of BYP 100 members and people who are not BYP 100 members, um, but folks who are just in movement. People who are some people who are professional singers, um, mm-hmm. and it, yeah, it was it's it's they've now been all over the place with that album. Even Jonathan was in South Africa, uh, singing from the album and like on like doing media, all kinds of stuff, and all uh, like people who wrote original songs, like uh, uh, Janae Taylor, who wrote "I mm-hmm. Love Being Black," you know, receives the royalties for that because she wrote it but well, a oh, majority wow. of the royalties for from the album go back to the organization so anybody who wrote the like the wrote the lyric like wrote something original like is that's theirs um and you know it's important to recognize black folks labor uh and that includes black women's labor and so it i think it's, i'm saying this and i'm sharing this with people so you know like the economics behind the album are even meant to support the organization and to yes. support the black folks who like created it. And mm-hmm. so uh, we, yeah, we, it's on Spotify, it's on Apple, yep. it's on iTunes, it's on Tidal, it's on Amazon Music, it's everywhere. So when y'all buy or stream the Black Joy Experience, you are supporting Black Liberation work. It goes mm-hmm. back to our organization so. to our people. So, yeah, that's just <laughs> another level of dopeness. Mm-hmm. But like, it, and it is just such a freedom feel. Like mm-hmm. the whole, I love that it's like it, it like, you know, transgresses genre. Yeah. Like everything. Yeah. It, it feels like some of the songs are like hymns. Yeah. And, the yeah. Other ones are, <laughs> and it, and I feel like it kind of up like 
sometimes like one of my little pet peeves is like when I be going to these uh, rallies and stuff, and it's mm-hmm. like. Um, like sometimes the music I mean let's just be frank sometimes the shit just be whack yeah and so and I'm, <laughs> the chants yeah. be whack and I'm yeah. like just I just love like the like the like you all like breathe like new life into like yes. which side are you on yeah. it's like oh, yeah. you know so it's like young black yeah. people or like you know young uh, like black people like here in Syracuse living in this like urban area they're not gonna have any kind of relationship to know like Woody Guthrie or you know right. a 1960s mm-hmm. labor strike in like West Virginia but it's like when you breathe new life like yeah. into this song and like Make it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I gotta tell y'all where that comes from, and it's in the album notes. Like, there's a a companion like book that goes with it. But like that remix to uh, "What Side Are You On" or "Which Side Are You On" comes from like we were taught that by Jazz Hudson, and uh, she's a poet and an artist out in the uh, in Oakland. And a lot of the songs, uh, a lot of stuff she taught us comes out of like Camp Akili and I think maybe some uh, freedom schools. But she taught us like Chant Down Babylon. She taught us like that. So we were really, at least anytime I teach it to people, I want people to know where we got it from. Uh, And that we didn't actually just come up with all this stuff on our own, but it is a part of a broader like lineage of people teaching us these things. So, yeah, we t- we've talked about it on so many episodes. Uh, like Nikita, before we before we'll start recording, she'll be just going chant down, Babylon, like, you know. <laughs> and even like healing is my favorite song on the whole um, track. And that is whenever I'm like trying to get myself ready for work or to do the mental moment segment, I'm just like, I need some healing. Ask <laughs> <laughs> me some sage. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah. we we get lots of laughs from that album because <laughs> we <laughs> yeah because we like know each other so it's yeah. like oh my gosh y'all are a trip but yeah mm-hmm. you think we're good or- yeah, can, can we just last the last question can we just please okay. ask about that out cover oh yes how I, I was how did <laughs> I forget uh, y'all just, I mean y'all y'all let's y'all. just say Barbara Smith calls you her daughter <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, y'all. So I get an email. Somebody from out emailed me. And uh, I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, wait, wait. you like, who? This what? Ex- excuse me? Uh, what's going to happen here? And I lost it. Like, I'm, like, just by myself. Like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this. I am, and Mickalene Thomas, who's the photographer, is one of my favorite artists. I was I first saw her work at the Brooklyn Museum when I was living in New York some years ago. And I fell in love with her work. And I met her for the first time at the National Women's Studies Association conference like uh earlier, like just like a month or two before the shoot. And oh, I completely Yes, yes, I completely freaked out. I fangirled. I gave her a copy of the book. Um and her partner and muse Raquel was there as well. And, uh, I, yeah, I completely fangirled. When I saw that email, I saw the names and I, 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 I know Barbara Smith and I've met Miss Major several times before. And, um, and I was like, wow, uh, yes. And then of course, like Alicia is my home girl and, um, Tourmaline. Tourmaline. Yeah. And I know her too. I was like, wait a minute. I know all these women. Like that's not, yeah, yes, of course I'm gonna do it. And, uh, so we get there, y'all. It was the most magical, like, day 
<laughs> I like what a, like it was it was just amazing. Everybody on set, y'all, was so kind, so generous, so just on point. Um, from the the women who dressed us. Um, like we were in that bathroom, fully unclothed, trying on different things. I'm like, you, I ain't got mm-hmm. nothing you ain't never seen before. We gonna, we gonna get this thing going. Um, you're, and, too, you're too young to be an auntie mode right now. I know, I know, I know. Oh my gosh! And I, I am auntie to an eight year old Sarai. My uh, shout out to my niece Sarai. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so from the people who did our hair to the people who did our makeup, our nails, the staff at Out, Raquel Willis, fucking it up. Like she's yes. amazing. Raquel is amazing. Uh, and it was just, it was a magical day. And I think, you know, sometimes you hear about photo shoots or you see stuff in on TV and it's all dramatic. There was no drama, at least not like on our end. I don't know, because I'm sure the staff had all kinds of things like work that they had to do that we didn't even know about. But it was, everybody was so great. And don't let Tourmaline fool you. That child is a a, a a whole sweetheart and just like <laughs> so soft and stuff. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. And Miss Major, of course, is phenomenal. And it's Major just, so ah. And then obviously Alicia, Alicia is amazing. And Barbara Smith, it was so funny, like how no nonsense uh, Barbara Smith is. Mm-hmm. And it was just a phenomenal and incredible and once in a lifetime experience to be able to shoot with Micheline, uh and Raquel, because Raquel was also uh, uh, getting us together. Uh, and it and and Micheline uh, was so great to work with. Like mm-hmm. you like you know sometimes these geniuses aren't very yeah. kind. And Micheline yeah. was just super clear down to the fingernail polish color we needed to have on. She was super clear and like, all right, let's get this thing done. And it was just phenomenal. And I'm like super grateful to have been a part of it. So yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I I feel like when I saw those photos drop. I think we I, called each other. We called each other. We saw, and we, we were like, I was like, money, did you see this? And I was like, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's all I could muster. <laughs> I think, yeah, I was just like, bitch, did you, or have yeah. you been on Instagram yeah. today? Yeah. Yeah. I felt so emotional, and I was just, like, screaming and clapping. It felt like a family portrait. It felt yeah. like all these folks that I, like, look up to and admire so much. That picture of Tourmaline laying on Miss Major's knee, oh, yeah. it almost sent me. <laughs> I still yeah. need to ask Barbara where she got that suit from. Y'all so funny. They dressed us. They did wow. all of that. And, wow. you know, and Janet, I know Janet Mock had a lot to do with even selecting who was a part of the shoot. And I, Janet wrote a blurb for Unapologetic and was really, really generous. And um, Janet, Janet's relationship with Barbara is something that is, is it's a beautiful a beautiful relationship that the two of them have because we've done some stuff together like to support Barbara Smith's uh, giving circle. Caring circle. Yeah. Her caring yeah. circle. Yes, her caring circle. Yeah. Her caring circle. So folks should totally mm-hmm. support the Barbara Smith caring circle. And so Janet yes. has been a part of pushing that out and uh, the media work around that. And so Janet Mock, she was, you know, she was the editor for that, um, that edition and she chose everybody. Uh, and, really pulled together all the elements for 
for that uh, issue. And yeah, I'm deeply appreciative to her for for mm-hmm. yeah how she shows up for us. That's, that's, that's so yeah. wonderful. I mean, Janet Mock is all things I like queer right. rock excellence. High clearly, priestess. clearly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. I just, I feel like, I just, I just want to say that, uh, you know, I, I don't know you uh, personally, but I just want to say, you know, I think it's important to give people their flowers while they're still um, here, I and just I just, and I just really feel like, you know, what you, I'm like, you know, and I, when I see you in like in your, um, you know, in your public capacity I feel like you are really modeling what you know the left and what organizers like so desperately need to be doing right now and I think that you're just such um a breath of fresh air I think we need far more generosity and far more humility you know just far more being strategic and it's just so um I think our movements are just so much greater for having you in the world and sharing you know your experiences and your observations with mm-hmm. us and it's it's it, like I mean we've been like I mean we joke that we've been fangirling but like it's it's a very serious thing and we really appreciate Absolutely. you know the work that you're doing and you know and I know that our movements and like small organizations that we're a part of here in Syracuse you know I, you know I have a appreciated and benefited you know from your leadership so like, mm-hmm. we deeply appreciate you not just for doing you know the interview for just like but being in the world and like observing the world and contributing yeah and i i really wanted to say before we ended this too that i appreciate you being so like um intentional about making healing a part of justice work and also for having the most Phenomenal twist outs. Yes! All the time. <laughs> thank you. As, as if thank you, you. Thank you. Humanity is just for you mortals. Okay. Yes! <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Shout out to my hairstylist, Brenda. Be style. Be style. <laughs> thank you so much. But def- I definitely like love you so much. And it's like, oh my gosh, you, you know, we are, we are like, peers in this work and like in age range and every in every way and just to have a peer that you can look up to so much is just like Absolutely. it it means so much to be alive at the same time as somebody like thank that. you yeah. so when we go meet we need to make that happen <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we really hoped um, you all learned something, enjoyed that interview, laughed with us. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just a real treat. And once again, you know, it was just such a real honor and privilege to have her on the show. It really was. It really was. Um, And thank y'all for sticking with us through Pride Month, too. These mini-sodes turned into jam-packed episodes. Yeah. And we thought that, like, uh, interviewing Charlene, of course, would be, like, the perfect end to this month. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so thanks for sticking with us through all the length of these episodes, yep. and this was this was this fun. Was, this was lit. This it was, was a really good problem. It was, and we still have another week. Well, oh my gosh. from when we're recording, yeah, you know, and podcast time, Pride will be almost over yeah. when this comes out. But like, yeah, so excited for all of the things upcoming too. Oh, this has been a wonderful book into the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall really Rebellion. Yeah, we yeah, we really appre- appreciate the community for coming through yeah. and making this an amazing Pride Month. 
Um, give us your feedback on what y'all thought about our back-to-back episodes for Pride. Uh-huh. We gave y'all enough content. We hope y'all don't feel left hanging next week when yeah. we are on break. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, use the hashtag QueerWOC or QueerWalkPod, P-O-D, to let us know what you thought. You can always send us an email at QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. You can hit us up on all the things at QueerWalkPod. That's like... The Instagram and the Twitter and our Facebook page. I don't want to neglect y'all yeah. over there on Facebook. Queer Rock colon the podcast. Yes. So this has been Money the Kombucha Cutie. And this has been On One Nikita. Yes. And this was Pride Month 2019. 2019. Or sorry, 2019. Making it work.